You're listening to Within Tolerance, a podcast for machinists by machinists. I'm your host, Dylan Jackson of Protean Machining. And this week, I have the All Florida Man episode. I'm going to let my guests introduce themselves. Go ahead, guys. Go ahead, Nick. Oh, me first? Okay. So, hi, I'm Nick Polinowski. Um, I run a small prototype shop in Maitland, Florida, which is on the east side of Orlando. Um, if you want my entire life story and shop history, uh, please reference With Intolerance episode 124 and 126, because I talk a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, over to you, Juan. All right. Yeah, I'm Juan March. I own a Jacksonville Precision in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, my history was on episode 96, uh, in kind of the same boat as Nick. We run a small prototype job shop. Uh, we got three people currently and, and three machines, so about the same size as Nick. Yeah, and I'm not sure if I may have skipped it. My my business name is P3D Creations. If I said that already, please edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will double check for sure. Well, you both have had tons of growth, uh, new machines, people, all that stuff. Which one of you wants to go first and kind of update the the listeners on what you got going on? All right, I'm being pointed at. So, yeah. so last you were on... You were talking about Daytron. You have had not had a Daytron yet. Um, we we promised that you'd be back on to kind of talk about how cool it is or, or not cool. So, you know, what's been going on? Sure. Yeah. And uh, uh, please interrupt me and let, let's let's ping pong this back and forth so I don't do a uh, evil villain monologue <laughs> for the entire episode. But um, all right, Daytron. In short, it is everything I was hoping it would be and more. However, it is important to understand that as cool as the vacuum work holding is, it's still not magic. And it is still a relatively small light duty machine and it has its limits. So, um, let's see. So I got, I ordered the machine in late December. I received it in, I think late March, early April. They got it installed. We did training. And the very first thing I did was blow up the entire spindle. Um, that was a hard lesson about internal material stresses. As a reminder to everybody, normally when you buy nice thick bar stock, it'll come as like 6061-T651 or 6511. Those last few digits are really important. If you just get T6, it's not stress relieved. Um, and if you go and machine a bunch off of one side, it will try to turn into a taco on you. Uh, sometimes if you have vacuum and adhesive holding it down, it will try to turn into a taco violently and all at once on the very end of your facing pass when you thought everything was going well. At that point, your three millimeter sheet, which you have just faced to one millimeter, will suddenly pop up into your nice 20 millimeter monoblock face mill, spin it in the taper, weld itself to the spindle, and uh, become unremovable. You will then have to call the Datron service tech who's back at his hotel and thought he was flying home a day early and say, hi, I broke the machine. The tool won't come out. And um, I, I don't know what happened. He will then come out, look at it just as confused as you are, say, man, I've never seen that before. Oh, that's a good one when you break it so bad that they don't know. Yeah. So I, I, anyway, he was confused. Service was confused. Apparently, I'm the only one to have ever done this. Um, service's only advice was basically uh, tap it with a hammer, I guess. See if it comes out. Which, and in a high-speed precision spindle, we all know is terrible. 
So we got the tool out. Um, I grabbed a precision flat stone, stoned the external taper. I bought a, a ruby stone at uh, Stefan Goodsventer's recommendation, stoned the internal taper. I got a tool change. Uh, I got 115 hours out of it. And then that was it. That The spindle, I don't want to say it catastrophically failed. I stopped it when it started smelling and making bad noises. But um, the spindles are warrantied for 2,000 hours, and most people report like eight to 10,000 on them. And I, I killed it in one one hundredth of that time. Yeah, Oof. that's impressive, man. Yeah, not cheap. <laughs> let me tell you, the, the, a new spindle costs about um, 15% of the entire machine cost. Oof. And, and a, a used spindle is about, or not a used, a refurbished spindle is about half of that, but it's still like, that is far and away the most expensive mistake I have ever made in one shot, or pro- probably even cumulatively. Um, I've broken a lot of end mills, I, I've ruined tool holders, I've ruined expensive stock, but that that was a new one. Yeah. But they well, took and good- you also, like, if I remember right, it's such a rare incidence that, like, there weren't that many in stock in the U.S. Like, you were worried about, like, actually getting back <laughs> up and running. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, this gets better. Um, there is more drama to add. So we got the, um, I called them and, and we, this wasn't a warranty thing. This was all on me. It, it is what it is. The machine, luckily, at least uh, in the hundred and something hours I got out of the original spindle, at least paid for the replacement spindle. Um, so we were reset to zero, but we weren't in the hole. So I, I called them when I saw the signs of failure impending and said, hey, I need a new spindle. Can you overnight it? And they're like, yep, we can overnight it, but we don't have a tech available for three months, which was absolutely not going to work for me. I think I had parts to make for one by like the next Wednesday um, (laughs) among other customers. I was going to say, for everybody who doesn't know, the second Nick got a Daytron, we were all like, cool, now we know where to send all of our plate work. It's probably 50% dominated by other Insta machinists sending me work. And if anyone has plate work and or other difficult to hold parts, I will happily take it. Please send me an email. Um, The machine is running. Somebody saw you yesterday. They were like, somebody local called me and was like, hey, I've got these big 17 by 17 plastic plates. You want to do them? And I was like, a, won't fit in my machine. B, definitely don't want to do them. Here's Nick's information. Yep. <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, it's definitely a unique machine. And um, yeah, don't uh, d- don't buy a Daytron. Send me the work, at least until I'm too busy. Then, then someone else buy one and share. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so they, they sent us a spindle, but they didn't have a tech available. Luckily, they said that the spindle replacement was pretty straightforward. So they were willing to talk me through it. And yeah, it was not that difficult at all. Uh, last thing they had to do was remote into my machine, reset the tool changer. Um, I guess it's like a proximity sensor that indicates the drawbar position. So um, they had to just set the parameters for that. And they set it, and it kept on giving tool clamp errors. The tool was clamped, but it was giving errors. Um, it wouldn't let me do anything. So a day of troubleshooting later, I finally say, hey, why don't I put the old spindle back in and see if we're getting the same problem? Old spindle doesn't spin, but it clamps and unclamps. New spindle spins, but will not, or doesn't report to the machine that it's clamped and unclamped. Turns out I got a defective spindle. So, on to spindle number three. They overnighted another one to me. This was the last one in the U.S. It had to come from the West Coast. It was already penciled in for another customer who I actually know. Um, But they couldn't get a tech out. 
anytime soon. <laughs> so they sent me their spindle. I returned mine for refurbishment. They got new ones ordered in from Germany for this other customer and to replenish the East Coast office. And finally, third time's the charm. Uh, that's the spindle that's in my machine now, and it's been running great. Awesome. Well, but, uh, we, we've talked, uh, you know, ad nauseum about how terrible it can be, but let's talk about all the cool stuff that you, you've been able to do yeah. now. now well, that you and have and l- let me be clear. That wasn't terrible. The service experience overall was awesome. Um, they took care of me. They made things right. They We worked out a deal uh, where it didn't hurt too bad, and, and I got back up and running. So I have nothing but good things to say about the service experience. That was just an unfortunate mistake, which is exactly in my style where I always create the problems that nobody has ever seen before. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's just what I do, apparently. So Garrett Wade asked, is it as awesome as you were expecting? And how is it trying to transition from Cat 40 to a small taper like that? So it was absolutely as awesome as I was expecting. Um, I've been able to take on parts that were previously awkward or, or impossible to do. Um, the high flow vacuum plus the high speed spindle plus no flood coolant, um, the you know, large tool changer, the very low run out holders, like two microns or less. Um, everything is awesome. Uh, the, the control is just fantastic. Using the camera to do the probing is that's something I want on every machine. If I have a part that I need to flip and I don't have any external features to probe, but I've got a couple of through holes, I just uh, draw two circles. One circle sets the WCS origin. The other circle sets the rotation. If I've got a square block, uh, block to probe, I draw a rectangle. If I have um, a round part and it doesn't need to be clocked in any particular way, you just draw a circle. If you need the corner of something, you draw an L. Like It's that easy. The That's tool so management cool. is second to none. It has its own entire internal tool database, so I don't have to even assign tool numbers in Fusion. I, I don't touch it. It You just tell Fusion what your uh, tool part number is, and you tell the machine uh, what tool number you're putting in. It tells you where to put it in the magazine, and then when you call it in Fusion, it doesn't ma- matter if it's in position 11 or 19 or 1. The machine figures that out. Um, and if it breaks... It tells you exactly what you're taking out and what to put back in as a replacement. And just, it does so much really nice quality of life stuff. There are some things that control is definitely lacking that I kind of miss from other machines, like uh, simple diameter wear offsets on the tools. Um, really? Yeah, but you can also handle, it handles it a different way. It uses uh, not G-code, it uses what they call simple, which is their own scripting language. And simple, um, it has a function called path offset which you can apply to every tool path and it just offsets everything by a set value. So it, it, you can do wear offsets, but it's not on a tool by tool basis adjustable from the tool table. It's actually at a tool path level. And what I've done is in my fusion post-processor, um, I've noticed that the machine interpolates holes about uh, one thou undersized when I'm doing it quickly, like I like to do. So um, I just hard coded my fusion wear offset to update the path offset by about a thousandth of an inch. And then things come out on size first time every time. That's awesome. Um, I, I could also make that fancier and, and you know, adjust it. Or I can go into the, the code and hand edit it to be whatever it needs to be. But no, like overall, the machine is great. The vacuum work holding is awesome. Um, Tribos, you like? Tribos, I like it. Other than the price at $420 per tool holder, it hurts a little bit. But um, you can't argue with the performance. 
right. and the the ease of changing out tools. Like I, I love the system. It's gr- so much better than like ER callets and less moving pieces, very fast to, to change stuff out. Um, very easy to clean, but yeah, expensive. Very expensive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, having just gotten PG, I I know the feeling. You start looking, yeah. you're like, I want like a few more holders. You're like, oh, there's a couple grand. It, cool. It's a very similar idea. Yeah, but similar performance, similar type of like separate clamping uh, equipment. Right. Uh, it's just yeah, yours is a hydraulic thing, and mine is squeezing a bore out of round so I can fit a tool into it and then letting it relax again. Yeah, it's the most bizarre thing. I mean, it makes yeah. total sense when you see it, but you're like, what is going on? Yeah, it's a flexor as a tool holder, Yeah, which is actually an awesome idea. So Garrett also asked about the transition. So here's the thing. I'm in a unique position. This is not a transition for me. It's just another tool in the toolbox. If I, I would never sell my conventional machines and go to just a Daytron. It's only good at a relatively limited subset of parts. You can do almost anything with it. But whenever jobs come in, I am deliberately choosing what machines they go on and sometimes choosing what machines are used for which operations. So I'll, I'll jump things from the UMC for first op to a Datron for second op, um, especially just for like decking the carrier off the back of something, just sucking it down instead of having to hold it in jaws is nice. Um, especially if you have like funky shapes where you normally need to make soft jaws. Um, if it's like a big part that would flex and vibrate in a vise, then that, that goes in the Datron. If it's steel or titanium or anything ferrous or hard or anything like that, I just put it in the other machines. I haven't quite figured out machining the tougher materials in the Datron yet. Tried it twice. Uh, ruins perfectly good end mills quickly. Oh, so th- no. there's, I, I hear there's a trick to it, but you, without flood coolant, you've got to be really careful. Right. Um, I have good just, luck with like high feed mills or something like that in the Daytron. Those were the tools that I ruined very quickly. I see. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Stefan runs a Daytron at his day job and recommended uh, some Hoffman three flute end mills. I have some of those on standby. I just, Need to do some experimentation on mm-hmm. not a customer job. Right. Yeah, it's hard to find time for that experimentation stuff. Yeah, usually we're doing it live, which I don't love. Um, but, you know, that's the life of a job it's shop. You have to, yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we're all stressed right now trying to get ready for IMTS and yes. push all of the work through the shop. Yep, so that we can take about a yes. week off. Either yeah. that or st- I'm quoting like 60 days right now just for like cushion. Even yeah. though realistically, like we'll be faster than that, but I'm not going to overpromise and like tell my customers your parts are late because I'm on vacation. <laughs> right. Man, I don't think I've quoted 60 days for anything ever. Yeah, I'm quote, doing a little bit of that now. Yeah, I sent a quote <clears throat> last week that was like, "It's three weeks, but none of these apply till September 19th. So you can order it now, but it's it's after that it will be three three weeks." Yeah, I'm just trying to be transparent with people and tell them that you know we're going to be closed for the week of the. 11th or whatever it is and um yeah I, I don't know we've actually gotten some good customers lately who uh don't want stuff in three days which has been really nice <laughs> yeah Imagine i don't know what that's that. like <laughs> yeah it's a new thing for us <laughs> that's for sure yeah i have one customer who ordered these um they're 16 inch diameter by five and a half inch thick rings with a quarter inch wall thickness um Ugh. they're they're no thanks spa- 
space parts. I think they, they're going to end up on like small sats or something. Um, but those guys, I normally quote them about two weeks for all their other parts. And these ones, I'm like, nope, 40 days. Sorry. It's just, A, I've got a lot coming up. B, that is a gigantic part that may take some experimentation. And even the material took two weeks to get in since I, I couldn't just go down to my local Auro Metals outlet and pick it up locally. So that's kind of a new one for me, getting into some like larger, higher dollar, more complex orders. Um, and trying really hard to set expectations up front. I, I intend to finish them early, but it's a lot easier to say, hey, these might take a while than to say, hey, we're late. Right. Yeah. Well, Juan, why don't you talk about your new machinery since your last appearance on the show? Yeah, I think um, last time I was on, I think we had maybe just gotten our second VF2 SS or maybe we were about to get it or something like that. Um, but yeah, we got that second VF2 SS and it's a VF2. That's really all there is to say about that, you know? It's a pretty right. standard machine. Um, it makes parts. It's pretty much Frankie's machine, uh, one of my employees. He pretty much runs it exclusively. Um, and we also tend to kind of stick like longer run jobs on there, which aren't super common for us. Most of our stuff is under like 10 lot size, but if we get a, a hundred or something, usually we'll stick it on that machine and uh, Frankie will run that stuff. Um, but other than that, I mean, we got the DMU 50, of course, that's kind of the big, the big purchase. Um, and I mean, people probably know it's a five axis machine. Um, it's kind of, I think it was kind of DMG's flagship machine for a while. Uh, it's kind of their entry level to, to five axis. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a great machine. I don't know. It's, uh, it's super accurate. Like, I mean, Nick was talking about the Daytron boring, like a thou undersized, and uh, the VF2s do that as well, but it seems like maybe it's the HSK 63 taper. Um, the Daytron just cuts how you tell it to cut. It's it's a lot more rigid. It's a lot more accurate. Uh, you it's mean a lot the, more the, the DMG? Yeah. Or sorry, oh, you, the, uh, the DMU. The <laughs> yeah. Well, but let's yeah, go into just... that decision. Why, why DMU? Why DMG? You know, what made you choose that 5-axis versus any of the other entry-level 5-axis out there? Yeah, um, I mean, of course, I looked at Haas, uh, but I was just hearing like so much negative stuff about the UMC five hundred and seven fifty. Can't um, confirm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Nick's got one. I went, I went to Nick's shop with uh, with uh, one of my other employees, Jeff, to hang out for a day, and I think you know we were checking out the the UMC and whatnot at that point. Um, and to other people, like there's uh, there's some guys on Instagram I was talking to, and they were just like, you know, like you can make parts on it, but you just have to like there's just extra steps you got to jump through hoops and you know the blending is not always how you want it to be and uh it's just like you know if i'm gonna if i'm gonna already spend like what's a what's a umc like 200 something thousand dollars uh, i got I, I got mine for about 150 ish okay that's pretty good but i don't know i figured like, really if i'm gonna good. spend a bunch of money <clears throat> and i'm gonna i'm gonna pay for it over five years or whatever it is like I'll just spend a little more money and, uh, and either way the payment is, is doable. So like, I'll just get the machine that doesn't really give me headaches. That, that's really kind of my, uh, my philosophy on that. And as, and as far as like other brands like Hermley and stuff, um, I think I was just more familiar with, with the DMG product line. I had seen more DMGs in person. And, uh, at the time that I made that purchase, I wasn't really familiar with, uh, like Doosan or, or Hermley or, 
any of the other kind of common okay. 5-axis brands. Yeah, I was going to ask if you considered uh, Doosan DVF 5000 at all. Um, not really. I didn't really consider the Doosan brand for whatever reason. Um, I guess they haven't marketed to me enough or something. But uh, <laughs> this is another shop. I forget what they're called. They're on Instagram. But they're, they have all kinds of problems with their with their DVF also. I and mean, maybe it's just them. That, that kind of stuff always happens. But uh, well, I know Ren Scott, they sold their DVF yeah. to buy a bunch of Microns. Yeah, I mean, you hear complaints about DMG Mori's service, but you're—I I don't really hear complaints about their performance of the machines. So, I don't know. I feel like we made the right choice. I really enjoy using it. Um, the control is super user friendly. We got the Siemens control on it. Um, HSK is nice. You know, it's just a good machine all around. It's just—I uh, don't—I don't get frustrated when I'm punching buttons on it and making parts on it. <laughs> And that's Siemens with Celos over over the top. Yes. Any other options that you spec'd out specifically, or because no, you've got like one actually, of the last third gens, right? No, this is a, this is second gen. Um, oh right, okay, sorry. Yeah, that, so, yeah, but yeah, it's one of the last second gens, and uh, we actually bought an in, in stock machine. Um, I think we had it on our floor like two weeks after sending the PO, which was nice. Um, so I mean, that being said, I didn't spec anything on it. It came with a Heidenhain probing spindle and tool setting um it's got a 30 tool changer <clears throat> excuse me it's got a 30 tool changer which is the same as our vfs you know 60 tools would be nice but 30 is fine we, you, we can do anything that we need to do with 30 um i mean i dream of the day when we have like 150 tool tool changer that we can have like an entire drill index in and not think about anything like not <laughs> right. load tools ever like that'll be yeah. nice but I mean, for now, it's our entry to five axis. Yeah, and 30 tools is fine, especially when you get into HSK and uh, tool holders are suddenly twice the price that they used to be back when you were in um, Cat 40 land. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think we're all kind of experiencing what the higher end of tool holding can be like now. Yeah, yeah. So we, we got some power grip as well. I think we've got like two power grip holders right now in like four collets. And, uh, yeah, it's expensive. It's like, it's yeah. like $700 for like a holder and a collet, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> I ridiculous. told Brad the other day was setting something up in titanium, I think with one of the power grip holders. I was like, yeah, just, you know, don't be stupid. Yep. Don't break that end mill off on that yep. collet. He was like, why? I was like, cause it's like $130 collet. He's like, yep. oh, okay, cool. Go, go, cool. <laughs> Yeah, so that, that's kind of something that, I mean, since we only have two power grip holders, I think they're like 150 millimeter gauge length or something like that, PG-15. Um, but like we try to use them for things that aren't sketchy. <laughs> right. Just because like, uh, I don't, I really don't want to run that holder into a vice or or uh, destroy a collet or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing with power grip is that if you destroy the, a tool, like it's most likely just the collet and not the holder. Yeah, but it's still not cheap. <laughs> that's what they allege, but I feel like people allege the same thing about hydraulic holders, and I have definitely destroyed some hydraulic collets in my day. So yeah. I don't know. For now, we'll just try not to break anything in the PG holders. I think that's a, a good good plan all <laughs> around. Uh, Thomas Hosford asked, "What's the particular or particularly the real world work envelope of the DMU fifty? He's trying yeah, to replace so a uh, Bridgeport four hundred five axis, and he's looking for a larger part." able ability to do larger parts yeah so i don't know what that bridgeport machine's capacity is but um the dmu is a little weird because it's like uh the table is on like the right 
and the tool changers on the left. So the tool changing actually happens like all the way to the left of the table. Um, so that being said, like you've got a little more working area on the left side of the table. Um, but if your work holding is centered on, you know, the axis of rotation of the table, which it always is pretty much, um, like anything 16 inch diameter and over starts getting to be like kind of a pain. Like you can kind of work it, but, um, you start having to do funky stuff like, like, uh, turning the table 180 degrees and machining on the left side and then like turning it 180 degrees and machining on the left side, you know, you've got a big part. Um, but yeah, I mean, the work envelope in five axis is weird too. Cause like, uh, we had like a 30 inch long part the other day that needed some end work and we were able to set it up in the DMU and, you know, do all the end work on that really long part. But, you know, we couldn't have machined, um, like the X dimension of that 30 inch long part in the DMU. So, I mean, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like you've got more Z than you've got X and Y, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So did you get any simulation or are you just running it straight nah. out of Inventor? No, we, we actually were on Fusion um, and Inventor, depending on who the work's for and what it's for. Um, but yeah, all the sim is just in is just in Fusion for the most part, which is fine. I, I feel like uh, Camplete and that kind of stuff is a bit over the top. I mean, I don't know. Maybe if you were employing like less experienced people or if you um, were doing like really crazy like simultaneous five axis stuff like you'd want you'd want that kind of software but for three plus two it's i think it's pretty unnecessary um fusion handles the sim just fine especially if you do what nick and i do and model the tool holders and the the table and the um like you can actually model like your spindle uh like the lower part of your spindle like onto your holders and that gives you even more like accurate sim it's yeah funny, that, really. that makes it very very safe um except for the wildest of five axis moves. Yep. Um, it's and really even the five axis moves are going to simulate fine unless you have a retract and reconfigure that's required. Mm-hmm. Um, th- I think that's the only time where things get a little bit sketchy because fusion cannot simulate those moves at this time. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we actually got our posts from Devin at 1186 manufacturing. Um, and the way he set it up for us, basically, like any time that the table moves, the machine retracts to, uh, you know, the top of the Z and like all the way to the back, um, back left. So basically your tool and your tool holders out of the way for any table movements um, for positional stuff. Obviously, obviously, that's not the case for like full five, but, you know, full five axis moves are like kind of so few and far between that it, it's totally fine. I think we've made like three parts that have required full five at this point. Oh, you got to take on some more fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I feel like I'm breaking that out all the time. I am a huge fan of steep and shallow with collision avoidance. Mm-hmm. I'll just shove a stubby tool way down in a pocket and just let Fusion figure it out. And it's, you know, it'll stay three axis vertical as long as it can. And then I'll see it start tilting over and then it'll start doing, you know, full simultaneous moves to get to the very bottom of a, a small radius or something. Yeah, I actually haven't played with the cam too much for for full five. Um, like, uh, what's the common five axis tool path or kind of like the go to one? I forget. Uh, steep and shallow, I think. Steep, steep and, shallow? and shallow. If you're looking for like a surfacing thing, swarf, multi axis contour. Um, yeah, I think I'm thinking of swarf, maybe. 
uh, I don't know. We just don't use it a lot for now. But yes, Fusion 5X, this is awesome. There's there's more stuff coming. It's uh, the, the future is bright on that front. Um, but just because I don't want to accidentally spill the beans on something early, I'm, I'm not going to dive into technical details about my favorite <laughs> toys yet. <laughs> okay, that's fair. So that we is... were just talking about um, how it's you kind of have to do funky stuff on the DMU sometimes when you don't have the uh, work envelope that you would like. And mm-hmm. Jeff just posted a picture in Discord of him with the DMU table rotated 90 degrees so that he can machine something. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. That's fine. There it is. <laughs> so what are you guys using to model the tool holder with the spindle? Because I know, I think there's a utility you can buy that does the conversion right from a solid model, but I know I've had people reach out to ask about that before. There is a free script that one of the Autodesk staff put together. Um, I would be happy to send that to you, and then you can attach it in the show notes or something if you want. Yeah, let's Um, do that. That'd be great. Yeah, I think Saunders might have a video about it somewhere, but it's one of those things that seems to just be passed from person to person. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's the script is called Holder Creator New. It's a Python script. You <laughs> add it as an add-on into Fusion. Okay. You then import a solid model. I think you've got to put like the tip of it uh, at the origin, at the, at the like origin with it yeah. facing along the z-axis, and then I think you've got to. You either have to be in direct modeling mode, or you've got to have captured design history on it. If it doesn't work in one, try the other. I forget which is which. Okay. At that point, you'll then uh, activate the script, click on the body for your tool holder. Um, and you, before this, feel free to Boolean your your holder to your spindle. like Make it how you would want Fusion to interpret it. Um, it'll then pop up like a save window. And you um, you just save it as a as, you know, my new holder dot JSON. Uh, and then there you go. You've got your holder. It's, it's saved somewhere on your hard drive, go and upload it into, uh, your fusion tool library, like normal and apply it to whatever tools you want. Like it does all the work. It does the the revolve and it creates all the segments for you. Um, it doesn't handle fillets. Well, I think it just breaks them up into chamfers. So you may want to go and just uh, pre massage your model, um, to get clean geometry. And you so you don't have a million and one segments. Like simplify it a little bit beforehand, okay? Uh, yeah. Because that also helps simulation thing. performance. Yeah, yeah, we use the same tool. It works really well. Um, we actually don't have our spindle face modeled, um, which I mean is fine for what we do. Like you can do it for extra extra simulation accuracy, but that's not necessary. Right. I really so just don't want to bonk my head into the uh, table when mm-hmm. I'm at like 105 degrees or something. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. All right. Uh, let's see. Back to you, Nick. Nystrom Performance was asking about chip and coolant management on the UMC 500. He's having a constant overflow <laughs> issue on the on high material removal jobs he has at work, and they, they've got a 500 as well. Okay. I'm not sure if this is too harsh on Haas, but what chip and coolant management? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd say that's probably the single biggest issue on the machine. Um, I, in all honesty, it's manageable. It's it's okay, but for like it, I know it's a budget five axis, but as other machines go, it's kind of a premium price compared to like a VF two or something. And I was expecting them to put more than five minutes of engineering effort into this. Um, right. Basically, From, the like all the people I've talked to, they're like, I'd rather just dump into a trough and me hand scoop it than 
like having a constantly overflow. Yeah, so the the basic situation inside the machine, it's not too bad. There's like a couple of washdown nozzles and there's enough coolant volume that generally if you're running the conveyor, the chips will escape the machine and not build up too much. Um, maybe once in a while you got to get in there with a brush, but it, it's not too bad. It's not any worse than other machines I've used. Um, then the conveyor is supposed to convey your chips outside of the machine and into a bucket. It does that for eh, like 90% of them, but like 10% of your chip volume basically bypasses it on the sides, flows underneath, and comes out with the coolant through the little slot so that the coolant returns into the tank with. It then ends up in the top of the tank. Um, if you didn't get the little mesh bas- basket, I'm sorry, you will cle- uh, clog every single one of your coolant lines within two days. Because I did that, taking pretty light cuts. Um, your chips will all go straight into your tank and then get sucked into the pumps and then clog all your lines. If you did get the little uh, $95 mesh basket thing, then it will take you about two weeks instead. <laughs> this little basket catches all the chips that are supposed to come out of the conveyor and it just, it clogs up really quickly, like 45 minutes I've seen it happen from cleaning it to, to having a flood again. And then um, the little channels where the conveyor sheet metal ends, those clog too. So I got to get like a, a little piece of aluminum welding wire in there with a hook on it and like scrape them out. And yeah, just, if you don't really keep up on the little mesh basket and on those slots, um, the coolant just kind of overflows the edge and you start getting drips on the floor. And if you ignore it further, then you get like a mess. Uh, they also use the exact same coolant tank as they use on the other machines, which would not be a problem, except the other machines have a rear coolant output. There's like a little trough that funnels the coolant and chips and stuff all the way to the back of the tank. They have some time to settle in the trough. They then have to come all the way from the back of the coolant tank to the front where there's a little tunnel that leads to where the pumps are. So the coolant has plenty of time to deposit solids before it comes up to the, uh, it has to traverse the tank twice before it gets to the pumps. On the UMC, it's a front output. So it drops right on top of that tunnel. So all of your solids and stuff settle right where your coolant is being sucked to the pump and therefore end up at the pump really easily. Um, there's there's no like <laughs> mesh gate filter inside the tank, so you just you get cool uh, chips everywhere. Uh, it's not good for the pumps. It's not good for the coolant lines. It's not good for the nozzles. Um, so my f- sort of fix for all of this is just paying a lot of attention to the little mesh basket, cleaning it regularly. Um, there's a retrofit kit they can do that actually does help quite a bit. They they basically bolt some extra sheet metal on inside your machine. It makes a really tight fit between the edge of the conveyor and the machine casting. And that at least reduces the blow-by by probably 50%. Okay. Um, and then finally, just put some sort of external filtration on. I got the same McMaster filter that John Grimsmo did, um, plumbed it up, and I go three months between filter changes, and I don't have any... Like, there are zero chips in my lines downstream of the filter. My pump is still getting beat up, by all the solids in the coolant not much i can do about that but at least it comes out where it's supposed to and um i never have clogging issues and the the bag filters are like 10 bucks so no complaints there (laughs) awesome 
Uh, not to beat up too much on the UMC 500, but I did think it was interesting that you found an issue and Garrett was also talking about it. I guess there's some kind of TCPC bug that I think would be kind of a cool public service announcement so people don't oh. crash their UMCs. Uh, yeah, so this is something I'm still kind of trying to characterize. Um, there, depending on your software version, there are some issues with the implementation of the tool center point control. So basically, like your simultaneous five axis, um, it, it's doing like the real time rotary transformation, so that you can essentially you're, you're not having a program off center of rotation. It's it's accounting for any like offset from your WCS to the actual center of rotation. Uh, every machine has every five axis machine usually has some implementation of this. They call it different things. So anyway, it's um, there's an issue both with how like fusion sometimes gives invalid outputs and you'll just get an over-travel alarm. That's annoying. I, I'm working through how to fix that. But also, if you pressed feed hold as it was disengaging dynamic work offsets and engaging tool center point control, I guess there's just some software bug where it'll then try to go completely to the wrong place. So if mm. you're running anything other than today's current latest version of the Haas software, call your HFO get them to come out and update your software. The bug fix should be in, it's like 22.100. Something or other. I, I'll, again, I'll, I'll send the software version so that you guys can request it specifically, but I actually just did this update yesterday. So I haven't had a chance to validate the fix. Um, that was an entire saga of its own, trying to get them to let me remote update it. Because uh, they really didn't want to, they really wanted me to just give them a PO and have someone drive out and do this. Um, like very first, I, I say, Hey, can you update my machine? They say, we need a PO to schedule service. Thanks. That was a productive conversation. Which is insane. It's like, like, it just makes you want to send them like, Oh, well, I'm just going to invoice you if my machine breaks then because you didn't come out and do what you should have done for free. Yeah. I don't have the time to be petty like that, but <laughs> 14 emails later, they finally were like, okay, fine. Your, yeah. Your machine can remotely update itself over the internet. Here's the update. Uh, we've pushed it to your machine. It should work. I, it failed three times on me. And then I found out that the reason it was failing was because my compressed air was off. Oh, <laughs> God. which is like what <laughs> so i turned my because I, I turned my air compressor on to go run another machine i tried the update again and then it worked so uh then i had 14 alarms the machine forgot that it had a b and a c axis um i got all kinds of weird stuff it forgot half the parameters i, I reloaded them from a backup i i taught it that i had a rotary installed again and uh finally it seems like we're up and running which is probably why they wanted to send a tech out, but I, I pressed enough of the right buttons, I guess, to fix it. Right. Yeah. Well, but, Garrett was even mentioning that if he, he like he was seeing it if you applied two back to back TCPC toolpaths oh. or something, and then like called it out on the XYZ line, it would go to the wrong clearance plane too. Yes. Okay. Yeah. This is another. That's another issue. That's also part of this. So. My workaround in the meantime was enable safe start all operations in the fusion post. And that would allow you to do your two back to back uh, five axis toolpaths without it erroring out because it, it goes in, it, it resets all the axis motion inside fusion. And it assumes that the machine is starting from an unknown state. So it always basically safes everything. 
Uh, means that you get some extra retract moves, but it does work. But if you get the latest post version from Fusion, they uh, I don't remember when I checked the release notes, but just very recently, they changed the post so it should fix that issue. And then Haas has an update that should fix some of the other issues. So in theory, we're good now. But yeah, it, it, the, their implementation is just kind of poor. Um, which I'll, I'll talk more about this later, but uh, the UMC may be leaving my shop at some point. Um, I, 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 IMTS, I think, is going to be very productive. You mean very expensive? Uh, yes, that, <laughs> that, that word. It's, it's the same thing, just... Uh, <laughs> glass half full, glass half empty kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Juan, why don't we talk about you hiring another employee? Because it seems like it's been like such a force multiplier, even more so than just adding you know another person to the shop. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Even um, I hired my brother-in-law last year. Um, his name's Frankie, and uh, that was huge. He actually came into the shop with with zero manufacturing experience. Um, he graduated college with a physics degree, like right when uh, like the whole COVID thing started. Um, so basically, he had a degree that was like already kind of hard to find a job in, um, and then you know add COVID on top of that, and you know he just like couldn't find anything to do, and. Uh, his mom was like, um, can you get him out of my house and, uh, <laughs> and let him hang out with you and learn some stuff and, you know, fill his resume up. And I was like, yeah, sure. So he came over and he started doing, um, a little bit of day shifts, like, you know, doing simple stuff, like just press and go on machines and, uh, you know, like sweeping the floor, like menial tasks and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I started teaching him cam and, um, you know, how to set up and, all that sort of stuff. And he started doing uh, night shifts for me. Like we had a, a big job at the time, like a production job. Um, and basically I was doing, you know, op one all day long. And then he would come in and do all the op twos or whatever it was. Uh, so that was huge. You know, we were getting basically like, I don't know, it's like 20 hours of utilization out of, out of our new VF2 that we got. Uh, so that was cool. That was huge. That, that really propelled us forward um, pretty rapidly. Um, and yeah, now he's, he's setting up and programming and, uh, running parts independently of me. He's actually, he's gotten really good at machining. Um, most of what he does now is, is the prototype stuff. So like, you know, the average PO for us could be like, uh, you know, 20 or 30 parts, like between one and 10 of each. Um, so the programming burden is pretty high and, and we kind of put that on him. Uh, he does, he does programming and, and setups really efficiently now he's gotten like i said he's gotten really good at it so that's kind of what he does and then uh after that um jeff ludwig which a lot of the discord guys know and probably some people on instagram as well um he's from new jersey and he was kind of doing like a tour of, of multiple shops <laughs> <laughs> in the instant machinist community at the time i think he went to uh easton moria manufacturing shop um i know he saw john split 141 he might have gone to see you, Dylan. He maybe? didn't. No. It, no, like there was, it was crazy. I think the ticket price to Arizona was like two or three times what it was to go visit the rest of you guys. Yeah, like, okay. nah, I don't think it's worth. It. I was like, I completely agree. It's not worth it. Yeah, yeah. He went and hung out with Pete for a while too, but yeah, he came to see our shop too. And you know, at the time we were just hanging out. It was just meeting some guy from Instagram, basically, and he ran parts for us for a week and just kind of hung out and uh, you know just helped out and. um 
I think like two weeks later, he was like, dude, he's like, I think I would rather move to Florida. I was like, <laughs> okay, well, if you do, let me know. I'll hire you. And, um, and that's what happened. Basically he was, uh, he's like, yeah, let's get serious about this. So I, you know, drafted up a job offer and asked him what he wanted his title to be and how much he would cost. And, uh, we came to an agreement back. Well, really, I just offered him what he asked me to give him. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, yeah, he came down. I think he, he started in like, what month is it? It's August. Actually, to be honest with you, I have no idea when he started. Um, but yeah, he moved down from New Jersey and, uh, I actually put him up in my guest room for a couple months while he was looking for an apartment and getting that squared away. And, uh, yeah, he just moved out recently. He's got an apartment now and he's been working here for a few months. And, uh, and yeah, like you said, it's been a, it's been another force multiplier. Um, Jeff's really good at doing like non-machining things. And that's not to say he's not good at machining too, but he's really good at, at like organizing the shop and, um, like putting things where they need to be in order to work, um, like efficiently. Um, you know, but he's, he's self-sufficient as well. He can program and, and set up and all that on his own. Um, at this point, like Jeff came from kind of a higher production shop. So I'm kind of still working on getting him more in the mentality of, uh, of good enough. prototype job shop where like, yeah, of good enough. Basically we're like the parts of course need to be right, but like we can't, we can't dial in a part for like four hours that we're making two of, you know? Right. Like if that, if that blend wasn't perfect or like that chamfer would look better if it was a little bigger, you know, it's like too bad. We're never going to see this part again. So walk right. to the scotch bright wheel, move on. Yep, yeah. Just program it, get it out, you know, quick and dirty onto the next. Cause, um, I mean, he, he's got good habits for prototype or for uh production, uh, job shopping. Like, you know, he'll, he'll go through the cam and, and rename all the operations to, you know, be more descriptive. And I'm like, dude, we don't have time for this. Yeah, this is nice and I can appreciate it, but this uh, we can't spend our time on doing this kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, you can't but, uh, be tripping over dollars to pick up pennies. Exactly. Um, but yeah, three people is, has been nice. Honestly, I'm, I kind of wish we had a, a fourth on some days, but it's good to be somewhat lean. Um, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about our profitability and stuff like that. And, and, uh, that being said, I think in the long term, I'm probably looking at like five or six or seven guys um, total. You know, how I, has really, it been, I don't really know if I want to grow any bigger than that or not. How has it been giving over the reins for that kind of stuff? Because like I know even Brad coming on full time, like I know he's a competent machinist, but it's mm-hmm. like so hard for me. To be like, no, 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 like do it this way. This is this is the way. And it's like, no, this is your way, Dylan. Like the, you, you could, I, there are many ways to skin this cat. Yeah, I I try to stay out of things until um, uh, productivity is starting to kind of take a hit. Like, uh, or or if or if it's clear that somebody is struggling with something, um, I don't want to be a micromanager by any means. So like, I kind of just like everybody here like programs their own parts, setups sets up the machine, and you know uh, runs the part, and a lot of times inspects their own part. So yeah, in that sense, I try to be as hands off as possible. Um. And like, honestly, I don't really feel like these machines are my babies anymore. <laughs> like when Frankie first came in, like I was definitely looking over his shoulder a lot. Uh, but now, I mean, the VF2s are kind of almost like commodity machines to me. I don't, I don't really care that much about them. <laughs> I just, <laughs> the, the DMU is kind of different. Like I, uh, 
you know, we're about to teach Frankie on the DMU. And of course, he'll be getting watched closely. But yeah, I mean, delegation has been actually kind of easy for me just because like, uh, you know, we've been doing this for a while now. And um, there's a lot of things that I don't want to do anymore. And I'm, and I'm happy to, to delegate them. And I also kind of realized that my job now is like quoting and talking to customers, and emails and that sort of thing. So as far as the machining goes, I mean, yeah, they can do whatever they want pretty much. Okay. That's really cool. You mentioned uh, inspection. Mm-hmm. You also got some more inspection equipment. And I know, Nick, you've been looking at possibly some more inspection equipment. I know I have too. I feel like mm-hmm. as you start leveling up to wanting, you know, five axis machines and all that, you're like, okay, now I need a five axis CMM or I need something like that. So yeah. yeah, you're just constantly adding more variables that you you need to check because there are more and more places that things can go wrong. You know, talk mm-hmm. about the tool center point control and other things like you have. The, like it's easy with the three axis machine to kind of define as accuracy. You have three axes, you've got, you know, their ball screw pitch accuracy and the machine rigidity and the uh, you know, backlash and stuff. But then with the five axis, it's like, okay, now you have rotary axes with all of those, but then you also have all kinds of math going on in the control uh, and you get, you know, things rounding off or you get, um, just like inaccuracies in the implementation of the the geometric, like it, you're not just talking about like linear accuracy in three axes. It's now volumetric accuracy, mm-hmm. right? Which is is much harder to quantify and has a lot more potential variables. Yeah, and even just beyond the two rotary axes, you have they're not necessarily perfectly square. So uh, both square to each other and square to the other axes, and it's like it's actually really easy to stack up big errors if you're yeah, not very careful or your machine doesn't have very good kinematic calibration and, and like management of that and that's really where i'm seeing a lot of weaknesses with the umc it has a pretty simplified implementation of that as opposed to what siemens and heidenhein and some of the other high-end controls can do that's fair and, yep. and juan you got uh i guess it's a cmm technically, yeah right? we got um <laughs> We got a Keyence XM2200, which is, I guess they call it a handheld CMM. And, and basically what that means is um, you hold the stylus in your hands and it's like a, it's like an infrared system. You've got like, you hold the stylus in your hand and it's got like um, infrared transmitters on it. And then the machine has a receiver. So it sees these like nine um, transmitters, which are all that known locations. And it can interpolate like uh your the orientation of the stylus and you know where it's touching and blah blah this blah. This is a and, really fancy Wiimote. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. It's a yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> and uh I mean yeah the machine is cool. Um at first we were kind of having some trouble with like repeatability on it, but then um the uh our Kiant sales guy who's who's really good by the way I have to I have to pat Kiant on the back for their um you know post sale support. Um he came through and he was like look, you guys are boneheads, you need to be doing this. And uh, that kind of solved a lot of our problems. Um, it, basically, it kind of came down to uh, just being consistent in the way that you held the probe and like how much pressure you're putting on the part when you're holding it. Um, so, I mean, yeah, the, the machine has like expanded our our uh, inspection capabilities, obviously. Like we can do um, like three datum true positions and stuff a lot easier than you could with, you know, uh, calipers or height gauges or or, or what have you. Um, so that's been nice. 
However, I mean, the the work envelope is like a little bit small and it's like kind of cumbersome because like you've got to hold this relatively large probe in your hand and you're trying to like fit that into your working area while also keeping the IR transmitter and receiver talking to each other. Um, so you have to hold this thing at like a certain orientation in order to actually take measurements, which can be kind of a pain. Uh, another thing about the machine is that like when you get a CMM, one of the biggest things that you're doing is taking a human out of the measurement. If that makes sense, you're taking like human um, like differences in how hard like you squeeze calipers onto a part. You know, you're taking all that kind of stuff out of out of the measurement. And with the XM2200, you're you've got a CMM, but you're putting that element of measurement back into it. So, you know, you're, it's kind of like it's kind of like taking one step forward and, or, or two steps forward and one step back in a sense. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, it's been good. You know, we can do, we can say that we can do CMM inspections on Zometry now, which is, you know, that's actually opened up a bit of work for us. So, so that's fine. You know, I'd say it pays for itself. I think we pay like a thousand bucks a month for it or something like that, um, which is totally fine for, for the work that it allows us to do now. But in the long term, I definitely, I definitely just rather have a regular CMM. Okay. And then Nick, what are you looking at possibly? So I'm not really sure. I would, um, I think I need a shop floor CMM of some kind. I, I don't know that a key ins is a great fit for everything I do and for some of the limitations that Juan just mentioned. Um, I have a, currently I have a giant surface plate. I don't need one quite as large as I do. So I'm thinking of just getting rid of that and, um, trying to find a shop floor CMM that'll fit in its place. But I, I don't, I haven't done too much research on it. I was just going to go to IMTS hit the, hit the uh, metrology section and just see what was there, talk to people and then, you know, make some decisions afterwards. But it's just so hard to get a feel for what's out there and what it can do just based on the marketing materials. And I, I kind of want to go and like talk to the sales guys, pick a top three and then go and maybe find some people who um, actually have them and use them. Um, Sorry, I'm being distracted by the chat. <laughs> that was totally the most distracting way to put that. <laughs> so I, okay. I, I'm in the same boat, though, where I, I think a shop floor CMM would fit me the best, um, mainly because if we got one in our current space, that's all I really would feel comfortable. Like, I, I don't have a clean room setting. So, like, you know, e even in our office, the, the shop that I'm in was used by woodworkers for years before we got it. Yeah, so, so there's like, just there's residual sawdust. sawdust everywhere. Yeah, and like I've got air filters in the inspection room that like collect a lot of it, but you know, it's not perfect. Uh, so I don't want like a ton of really precise air bearing slides getting picked, you know, picking up a bunch of sawdust. Yeah, like in my shop, my, my dogs come to work with me and we have a pretty small space. So they're just, they, they go wherever they want. And that, Unfortunately, it makes it a relatively harsh environment because, you know, they, they shed hair and everything. We try to keep it all clean, but yeah, I need something a little bit more robust. If it's a super delicate instrument, I don't think it'll be a good fit for us. And also, I don't necessarily need the accuracy that some of the very high-end CMMs can do. I mean, I, I'm machining things with a Haas UMC 500 uh, for chip's sake. <laughs> it's... Right. Um, you know, th there's only so much I'm going to be able to do with that. And even with a future machine, um, 
really, I just, I need something better than calipers, better than mics that can inspect a wider variety of geometry than my current Tessa height, uh, height gauge, which I, you know, I, I love that thing, but it is only a one dimensional measurement in the end. Um, and maybe something if, if it has some automation, if I can just, maybe I can drive it around by hand, record that, and then just say, okay, now do that five more times. Right. Or I, I don't know if there, I, I've heard nightmares about uh, CMM software. Um, yeah, but th- that's one of the things I'm mainly going to go look at is I really want to press the Zeiss people and get a de- like a real demo of Calypso because I've used PC Demos now for years. I know the demon that it can be. Uh, I really, I, I think Hexagon makes amazing hardware. But like if Calypso is even 50% better or 25% easier to use than uh, PC Demos, I- I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> that I wish that the Fowler makes that ZCAT CMM. And that thing is like perfect for the size parts we do. It's just super expensive. Like it's, I think, 60 or 70 grand when you start adding stuff to it. And it's like, well, at that point, I might as well get like a real shop floor cmm you know yeah what's a duramax cost is, is that kind of public knowledge i think they're 60 70 yeah maybe low 80s or something like that okay, that's, that's about what it. i expected yeah. yeah that's that's a nice machine for sure but um i think that's one of those things actually where you get it and you're like damn this is like a lot smaller than i expected it to be right like, that being yeah. said it'll probably go for a, a contura or something in that size range at least yeah so for me i'm i'm looking for the cmm not for daytron parts uh, <laughs> that would really push up my size requirements. And I, I have a compact shop and the Datron itself is, is quite accurate. It has a Renishaw TP20 CMM probe on it. It ball bars really well. If I go and put like a known size part in it, it measures it dead on. Um, so it for parts of that size, which generally have looser tolerances or will have like something like a bearing fit or like a, a, a dowel pin that I can check with uh, hand tools like gauge pins or something. I don't think I need a CMM for that size part. What I need is a CMM for the fist size parts coming off the UMC uh, and the other relatively small stuff. Right. So, um, yeah. Well, yeah, it's like, like 3D true position where it's like datums are on opposite sides of the part as the features you're machining. And that's when you're like, okay, I, I'd really like a, a, a auto CMM or a five axis CMM or something with a star probe or. Yeah. Just for the certainty, because it also like in a lot of cases, I probably could make parts better on, on the UMC, but I don't have the feedback to say for certain, I guess where, where everything is in 3d space. So it makes it hard to adjust, but what I'd actually love, and maybe I should just, do this and send it off to somebody is to go and like machine a cube on the umc uh maybe a couple different ways using like tool center point control at a tilt angle and then just doing it with like three plus two at 90 degree angles go send that off to somebody and then recalibrate my center of rotation based on that right um because the Haas built-in routines are not that great like i i spent a lot of time this past weekend trying to check the machine kinematics since I've had it for about a year and make sure things haven't drifted on me. And the, uh, the roll and the tilt checkout, the table is flat. As far as I can tell, everything is pretty square to all the axes, and yet I still get little mismatches. Uh, so it's got to just be the center of rotation being off. Right. And if I can just have, if I can machine apart and have someone go and check that really accurately, maybe, and I maybe engrave on it which face was which, um, I might be able to go and tweak those last 
a couple ten thousandths in so that I get better blends on multi-axis surfaces. Or yeah. I just get rid of the UMC and save myself the headache. <laughs> right. That's Do also that. what IMTS is for. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys at IMTS. It should be a lot of fun. Um, we're kind of looking for an auto saw and uh, if I can find one, like a whole, a whole building like DI system with a booster pump on it so that I can take our like less than two gallons per minute into the shop and uh, like deionize it effectively or RO or whatever it is. I, f- I forget. I, I can't keep all the, all the different kinds of water um, accounted <laughs> for, but, but yeah, we're trying to improve our coolant uh, water a little bit and, and we can talk about this later maybe, but we're doing some more chemical stuff now. So I'm kind of trying to get the water squared away for that too. Yeah. yeah. So on, on my side, I just got an RV water tank. Uh, and I, I store 25 gallons of nice, clean RO water at any given time. And I've got a pump yeah. on that. Like a turnkey system would certainly be nicer, but I have maybe 300 bucks into my entire system mm-hmm. for the, the uh, RODI. Like it's just a regular like under sink type because I don't go through that much water. Yeah. Um, yeah. It makes whatever two gallons per minute. It's, it's pretty pitiful. You go and pump that into a tank for a day and a half, and now you've got 20, 25 gallons, which is usually enough to top up the coolant tanks in one mm-hmm. or more machines at any given time. Yeah. Um, or go and fill a, a rinse bucket for part cleaning or something. And then by by the time you need it again, it's filled back up. Uh, so that that's a low-cost solution. But yeah, I, I would be curious about the more industrial ones. I, just, yeah, I, I have definitely... to really limit the size of everything just because my, my shop is 1600 square feet with a quarter of that being the office uh where yep. you've got a little bit more space to play with and i'm very jealous of this <laughs> yeah no joke yeah we do we got lucky here we got I, I said it on the last time i was on the podcast but when we when we first started um or when i first started my machine shop i had like you know 500 square feet maybe of uh of this other company's space, you know, they let me, they let me have space here on the condition that, um, I would make parts for them quickly and they would, you know, pay me like a regular machine shop, but I just basically had to kind of handshake deal that I would prioritize their stuff and, 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 you know, make their parts fast, but they've since expanded also and moved down to Tampa. Um, and I have inherited like 6,000 square feet of, of space now, which is, which is way too much. But that being said, we've also managed to kind of fill it up because, there's space in between everything. Like, uh, I've got, I've got like actually almost as much packing, shipping and handling space as I've got like machining space right now, which is, which is really nice. <laughs> yeah. My yeah. entire shop fits in your shipping department. Yeah. Easily with <laughs> yeah. room to spare. And yeah, mine totally fits inside Nick's inside your shop. <laughs> <laughs> it's completely ridiculous. And the price is right too, which is the best part. I wanted to move up closer to home. Um, but I, I toured like five or six shops or, you know, spaces and, uh, it would cost us like at least double to have an equivalent space, um, like 20 minutes North of me. So, so yeah, that being said, we're staying here for a bit. I don't blame you. So the last question we had from David Meyer was for all of us about how do we view company growth? He said, is it something you're actively reaching and stretching for, or do you let it grow organically? And I'm actually curious to hear how you guys feel about that because like i sometimes it feels like i'm riding this wave that started out as like a little kiddie pool wave and then it's just slowly becoming a tsunami and i'm just like trying to balance as this whole thing keeps going and you're like 
more money's coming in and more money's going uh-huh. out and it's just this crazy yeah crazy wave so how do you yeah. guys view growth yeah you want to go first nick uh sure yeah I, i'm kind of right there with you dylan it's so right now we're seeing massive growth which i guess is good but it it's really quite stressful i'm i'm trying to figure out how to keep my current customers happy how to respond in a timely manner and take care of these new customers how to uh maintain enough available capacity for everybody and then also like as things are growing like our our revenue has so since we started in 2018 i we started at a pretty small number but we we're, we're you know tenfold what we were the first year we were in this shop right. uh which is awesome um and you know even over last year we're we're currently on track for almost double what we did last year but it's like okay this is pretty significant growth it means that we've got some options but i have a lot of big decisions that need to happen i I don't have great answers on right now because i have to decide do we need to hire more people if we hire more people can i fit them in our current space because i don't have room for a desk for anybody else like we are right we're tight right now everyone who comes in here always comments and like how tight everything's packed in oh my Um, god i get that comment all the time brad the other day we had some we had two or three visitors in a row and he said the next person that comes in and says wow you're really packed in here i'm gonna kick him in the nuts (laughs) (laughs) yeah like it's it's snug and i just i don't know that i have enough room like i have enough machines that someone could stand at a machine but if they needed to sit down and program something like i don't have somewhere for them to do that and it's just it's so tight in here right now and then i'm trying to think okay so what what can we do with our current space so if I got rid of the UMC, I'm not really actually using my VM3 very much anymore because the UMC does all the complex, smaller parts, and the Datron is so good at the bigger stuff that the VM would traditionally do. Um, I don't do a lot of steel work usually, so I don't need a, a large machine that also has a beefier frame and spindle. So I'm thinking of just ditching the VM, maybe selling the UMC, and then uh, at IMTS, one of my big things is... Um, I want to go find a compact five axis with a pallet changer. You and me both. <laughs> because I think that's the, that's the best way for me to continue to grow in my current space. I've looked at going to a bigger space, but the, the moving expenses and everything are just huge. The downtime. And then it's like, shoot, do I even want to stay in Florida? It's kind of hot here. I'm not actually a willing participant of this. I know this is the Florida man podcast, but like I am, I guess I, I'm not really here against my will, but it was an accident. This was right. not intentional. I just, yeah. I am here and now I have 70,000 pounds of equipment tying me down. So if I'm going to do a big move, then it's like, shoot, where do I move? Do I move locally or do I just pick where I want to actually be, move everything? And then that's just another logistical nightmare. Re- reestablish all of our supply chains, all of our distributors, meet new people, possibly lose some of our customers who are currently local and it's just like that is a, a massive complicated process so the easiest thing for now is to try and make the most of the space we've got and you know uh strike while the iron's hot as it were and right. then um if either our finances allow or i just get really fed up with um being 95 degrees for 10 months out of the year 
and humid, uh, then maybe we'll look at something else. But so you have AC now, which is nice. Although, yeah, yeah. So um, best decision I have ever made since moving into the shop was installing shop air conditioning. Uh, that was about $22,000 to have a 10-ton three-phase unit installed in, I guess it was very late May. I think June 1st is when we were like completed with the install. They, they yeah three phase unit. It's two stage, so it can run on high to get things cool fast, and then it runs on low most of the day, which keeps the electric bill reasonable, and also prevent you, you don't have the harsh cycling, where right. it's it gets warm and then it cools off really fast, which is not good for machines and dimensional accuracy. It just runs on stage one, and it maintains. I, I usually leave it at seventy two degrees, and it it maintains plus or minus one everywhere in the shop. I. I talked with the guys who were doing the duct work and we, we set the duct work up in such a way that it would distribute the air really well in the shop and it not blow right down on any machines or anything. So um, it's not, again, not, not a CMM clean room grade HVAC system, but versus before where my shop would swing from about 88 to 97 degrees uh, and not ever cool down even at like three or four in the morning with the doors open and fans going like it it was brutal. Yeah. I dealt with that for too many years. This was worth every penny. And funny enough, another big issue with the UMC is uh, it's thermal management is terrible. So the air conditioning has doubled the effective accuracy of the UMC. It's far more repeatable. It's far more predictable. My tool lengths aren't jumping all over the place because they mounted the tool setter up on like an 18 inch long stainless steel stock <laughs> that is on the casting that is like eight or nine feet away from the spindle. If you were to like attach a string from the tool setter itself down through the casting and up through the C frame. And it's. Yeah. What is that? Like a thousandth of an inch per inch per. 100 degrees Fahrenheit or something like that. Yeah, it, it's, it's something crazy. And I yeah. would actually see three to four thousandths variation between yep. um, touching off one day and then after the machine was warm and then I touched off another day. Like I had to, every single tool I wanted to use, if I wanted it all to match up, I had to touch off every tool every time. Oof. Um, but nowadays I don't actually worry about that. The air conditioning helped. The software update that did the, that added the new thermal comp algorithm helped. Um, UMC owners ask for that. It's a patch they do, and it it makes it better. Not perfect, but better. Uh, and then I'm thinking of grabbing my chiller now that... Um, so I have anodizing upstairs above my office, and I had a chiller for that so that I could get the anodizing down to a workable temperature. But now that my ambient temperature is normal, and I don't usually do like high power or large batch anodizing, the temperature rise isn't as much of an issue. So I might yoink the chiller from that and install it on my umc coolant tank oh cool and because i i noticed that the pumps actually put quite a lot of heat into the coolant and then you know, between the, the pumps and then hitting the hot spindle and oh the, yeah the cut and everything it, the coolant is noticeably lukewarm when the rest of the shop is pretty chilly so yeah I'll we had a machine go- at my last job that uh we ran a coolant chiller on and we didn't note it. We, we ran these parts on it that were on the fourth axis and they got bored. And one day, all of a sudden, they started going way out of whack, like from part to part. And then we realized, oh, the chiller is just not working. Hmm. And like it was that, that mu- and it was like a significant swing. Like it would swing like plus eight tenths, minus three tenths, part to part. And you're like, holy shit. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's well, pretty Juan, crazy. What about you? Growth. How's that going? How's, you know, everything with that? Yeah, growth. Um, 
So like we were talking about earlier, I've got two full-time guys working for me now. So that means we can push a lot more parts out the door. Um, but it also means that like there are a lot more headaches for me to deal with um, in terms of, you know, like personnel. And I mean, my guys are fine, but, you know, just people come with uh, with things that you have to deal with. Like, uh, I'm going to out my guys a little bit, but <laughs> but Frankie and uh, and Jeff had a little disagreement the other day where like one of them was being kind of pouty and I noticed it. I'm like, dude, like well, you've been in a funk for like four days. What's going on? And he's like, oh, the other guy has been pissing me off by doing this. And I was like, okay, um, like, I don't think that he's trying to like belittle you or be mean or anything like that. So let me go talk to him. So I go talk to the other guy and I'm like, hey, your, your uh, counterpart feels like this for this reason. Um, I know that you're not trying to like <laughs> piss him off, but you know, that's how he feels. So you should go talk to him and you guys should get on the same page. So you know, that's, that's kind of what comes with, with having people work for you. You kind of have to actually start playing the manager role a little bit, which can be weird. Like, I'm not good at that. It makes me uncomfortable, but you know, I can't have, I can't have my guys like not wanting to work together in a team because somebody said something that was like perceived as, as hurtful or whatever. Um, so, you know, that kind of covers the, the growth in terms of people side, but, but yeah, I mean, we're kind of similar to Nick. We've been growing our revenue year over year. Um, we might have a, a two comma year this year, which would be just kind of mind blowing. Um, but you know, I guess, I guess you get there fast in a machine shop. Um, and well, it really seems to be exponential. Yeah, yeah like, it is. It's, I mean, cause it's like such our, a grind and then you, you get some good equipment, you get some good customers, you get some good processes down and yep. it, I don't want to say it gets easier. But it's no. at least easier to make the numbers bigger, both in and out. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I was about to say, too. So the numbers in have gotten bigger, but, I mean, the margins haven't actually changed that much. So, you know, like, we, we're making a lot more money, but we're also spending a whole lot of money. And, like, I remember when I first started the shop, you know, if I had $10,000 in the bank, like, I was like, damn, I've got ten grand. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> that's so good. And, like, now if I've got ten grand in the bank, like, I'm going to be out problem. of business next week. Yeah, I've got a huge problem. So like we're we're spending now on a weekly basis what we used to make in a month, you know, yep. right. which is, is it's it's crazy and like it can be stressful at times, but you kind of self correct, like uh, like now you know I've got like zero to me in the bank is is like a hundred thousand dollars, like anything less than that, like I'm kind of like okay we like we need to get some more money coming in because like um you know like overhead is crazy, like I've got a like 10 grand in payroll every two weeks, you know, um, like there's machine payments that amount to like $7,000 and, you know, just like working capital is huge. Like if yeah. we, uh, if we get a job in the door, you know, we might have to spend like five grand on material. So it's like, it's just ridiculous. Like I pay the credit cards off like three or four times a month. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and, and, and John Saunders always says, you know, like, cash eats growth or growth eats cash for breakfast. And like, that couldn't be more true. Like I bought, I bought a, a Lang Chuck the other day that was like $2,000. Like, dude. Yeah. It's yeah, insane. But if, if you need it, you need it. You need or it. Yeah. It, but it's like, if it's going to make a difference to your productivity or your ability to complete a job period, mm -hmm. uh, or like it, you just have to remember that a lot of these things aren't like an instant return on investment. It's, exactly. it's, it, it's the cumulative overtime effect 
but it can be deceptive because it you're always growing there's always more things so it always feels like you're not actually making money even though you're spending more yeah if you were ever to just pause and like stop growing stop improving the shop and everything then yeah you it would look like you're doing really well right up until you realize you're falling behind everybody else or the things in your shop are getting old and worn out and so yeah just it just never ends that seems to just be how running a business is I'm kind of trying to change my 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 the way I think about growth from like um like having more machines and having employees to maybe having like um more capabilities like uh like I said earlier like I don't really know if I want to have more than like six guys working here including myself um but I do want to be able to do all kinds of stuff like I want to be able to do five axis work and I want to be able to do chromate conversion which is something we're working on right now and passivation and like uh like I don't, I don't like turning work down necessarily. You know, if it's good work. Um, so like I'm trying, I'm kind of trying to grow our capabilities more so than I'm trying to grow our bottom line or the number of machines we have. You know, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, did your stainless steel fitting fix your um, passivation bath turning green? That fitting is actually seems to be permanent. So I got a, uh, I got a high temperature plastic bin to put in the ultrasonic so then i'll just have water and then you know passivation fluid in the plastic bin okay which i think should work but we'll see yeah nick you got all kinds of people hooked on oh i can do chromate conversion and i can do all this i know easton went home after going to your shop and it's like <laughs> i'm gonna start doing chem film it is that's one of those things that like yeah you can do it but there's doing it and then there's like doing it right and those yeah, are two very different things <laughs> there there is it's deceptively easy, but the prep work is everything. Yeah, the and prep work you, is everything, and the and depending on your customers, the verification and the uh, like testing your uh, like baths and stuff on a monthly basis is actually the hard part. Because I mean, at the end of the day, chromate conversion is dipping aluminum in some in some juice, and you take it out, and it's chromate converted. But like uh, you know, how do you how are you gonna how are you gonna guarantee that it's chromate converted and not just gold colored, right? Right. Yeah, and with anodizing, same. You can you can anodize things relatively easily, but then at a certain point, you really need to know all the variables so that you can say, okay, this is actually building up this thickness, and it's it's reaching the correct hardness, and yep. it's going to have the right amount of like UV resistance. And yep. um, so I have like an entire chemistry set upstairs, and like calculators and notepads, and because whenever I go up there to anodize things. I've got to go and do a whole bunch of tests and, you know, titrate this and measure that and wait for the, uh, the, the color to turn pink and you know, yep. right, yep. count the drops and punch that into an equation. And then, yeah. That and we're in me. Florida. So like this stuff evaporates, you know, and this, this is all mixtures of like water and, and, and chemicals. So it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you gotta stay on top of it. And, uh, oh, and a lot of it's like, sometimes it, it has a shelf life. Like once, yep. once you mix it, um, you can't just let it sit like you need to use it quite a bit because otherwise it's just going to be bad in a month. Um, so I, I try, I kind of go through periods where I'm doing a lot of in-house finishing and then other times where I'm just like, eh, I don't feel like doing it today. And did I'll your just, new chemicals fix your problem, Nick? Cause last time you were on, you were having like, I think mold growth or something like that in your color tanks. Oh yeah. You the, said you were uh, trying out a new vendor for that stuff. Yeah. The new dye vendor hooked me up. Um, their stuff works great. Awesome. Um, yeah, they, 
their stuff seems to be much more stable. Also, reducing my temperature in the shop from like 95 degrees down to 72 has also helped. <laughs> um, like the overall longevity because less creepy crawlies want to grow at 72 versus like right at human body temperature. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so that, that actually, the, the air conditioning has had so many positive impacts on so many different aspects. Even like I was just doing it for comfort and maybe for like machine thermal stability, but across the board, it's reduced coolant evaporation. It's reduced the amount of growth that we, we get in just like rinse buckets that we leave laying around. Um, you know, everybody's more comfortable and happier and yep. like, I don't That's feel bad saying. saying some saying like, Hey, go run this machine for two hours or go stand in front of the bandsaw. Like if it's 70 degrees outside or 70 degrees inside, you're happy to do that. If it's like 95 and humid, nobody wants to. Yeah. Right. That, I think I said that to you when I came to visit that one time that like, I think that kind of regardless of the cost, AC is one of those things that almost pays for itself instantly. Um, just based on like the productivity gains um, by not like sweating and, and like being 95 degrees in the shop, you know, like it, it yeah. really does make work. Like not so much. being miserable really yeah, like, you just, like I used to leave the shop or when I, when I had my old job, it was really hot in the, in the warehouse. I used to leave like with a headache every day because like I wasn't drinking enough water or whatever, but like, you know, you got to drink so much when it's, when it's 95 degrees. So yeah, yeah. No, I've been pro AC the whole time. It's just been, you know, the logistics of, of getting that done, finding someone who's willing to give me the time of day as a small business, but also not yeah. a residence. Yeah. And paying uh, 22 grand all at once that, that hurts a little bit. Yeah. And it just, the, the stars kind of had to align, but I, I declared in like February that I would not suffer another hot Florida <laughs> summer without air conditioning. And yeah, no, it's been wonderful. And it, it, it's added about $300 to my monthly ACE, uh, power bill. Mm-hmm. And worth every penny oh yeah yeah we the shop that we inherited the people before us they put in i don't know what it is maybe it's a 10 ton unit um they just like slapped it in the corner of the shop and then didn't duct it for some reason (laughs) um so they they did like 90 percent of the work like all the expensive stuff they did and then they left like the last 10 percent out for some reason yeah we just got that difference yeah we just got that done and that's that's uh improved the back of the shop uh a lot in terms of in terms of temperature so yeah ac is (laughs) huge But, oh, yeah, yeah. No, and, and I guess in summary, because I, I kind of went off on a, a tangent there. So I, I think that we've got more growth coming for the shop, uh, but I, I expect it's going to be on the machinery side and trying to make the most of what we have. Um, simply because moving to a bigger shop and hiring more people is such an endeavor. Yeah, um, but I don't think it makes sense for us at this time, even though like it that it would be transformative but at the moment it would bankrupt me um yep. so it's it's not the time i i'll just put machines in here the machines will make me money at the point where i need more of those machines and they've made me ample money maybe we'll revisit it but yeah. till then we're we're going to stick with our three person crew and just try to train everyone's skills up so that i'm not doing the bulk of the programming and setup work and everything so that i can delegate more of that like they the other two, uh, Katie, uh, my wife, and Call, are formerly part-time and now full-time employee who we've had since March 2020. Um, they're they're really learning fast. Like Katie does so much of our accounting and our um, customer communication and uh, quoting and things like that that it's, it's kind of hard to get her out in the shop. But there are times when we don't have any of that to do, and uh, she really loves the Daytron. So I'm going to try to get her to be the the Daytron queen. 
and then uh, myself and Kyle will handle all the uh, four axis and five axis and turning parts and everything. That way we can at least split the workload a little bit better. Congrats, by the way. Yeah. Congrats. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> to you and Katie. Yeah, I think this is probably the most public-ish announcement. We, we didn't make a big thing of it, but yeah, um, figured eh, it was probably time to simplify taxes and health insurance <laughs> and things of that nature. And also, if I get hit by a bus, it's a little bit easier to say, oh, yeah, you know, this is my wife. Please let her in the room to see me. Then, okay, this is my long-term girlfriend who also runs a business with me. Like She's like my partner in life, but technically we don't have anything linking us other than too many machine loans and business documents. Um, right. Like, yeah. like that's a whole thing to explain, but you, you just say like, Oh, this is my spouse. They're like, okay, I understand. Yeah. yeah. My wife and I did exactly the same thing. We did the whole courthouse thing. We dated for like six years and yeah, I think we, 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 uh, signed the paperwork on day, on the first day of year eight. We, yeah. we just, yeah. It's yeah, been yeah. long enough. Ours is like a, I mean, obviously, like we love each other. I mean, you know, we dated for six years and we're married and stuff like that. But um, I needed health insurance at the end of the day, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like it, 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 feel, it feels kind of crappy because it is a little utilitarian, but also like, <laughs> like we've been functionally doing the the rest of it for years now. It's right. just like eh, we yeah. should probably formalize some of this for recognition of government and other institutions like yeah uh it must be a, a theme for machinists because yeah my wife and i got married on our 11th anniversary and it was like well in many states we are technically like common our, law our, yeah common law <laughs> yeah exactly it's like this we might as well we're all very yeah, we, practical people <laughs> yeah 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 i think um going back to growth a little bit our, our growth probably looks the same as or pretty similar to Nick's. Um, we're like, we're going to kind of try to keep it small. Um, but like, I don't want to, I don't want to grow anymore in terms of personnel until like I can give the existing personnel uh, like common job benefits. You know what I mean? Like I want to get, I want to get wages up. Uh, I want to get, you know, like 401k and health insurance and stuff like that. So like, I, it, it feels kind of, it feels kind of not great as a leader to like, be bringing in more people when your existing people don't have everything that that they should have you know what i mean so i think somebody said something about like organic growth in the in the show notes Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah, i think uh making sure that your people have what they need before you like keep buying like half million dollar machines um is important (laughs) yeah (laughs) i guess Totally agree. Yeah, I would. And especially like machines aside, if you go and hire a bunch of other people at kind of a, a poor wage um, and without benefits and, and like you don't want to be one of those businesses that people will jump ship on for another dollar or two an hour. Yep, you right. you want to be the, the place where everybody gets along and enjoys the culture and feels like they're appreciated. And they get they get paid fairly or even well. Mm-hmm. And uh, like we you know, we've been trying to give our guy regular increases just so that it covers the current cost of living increases and inflation that's going on and um, and reflect his skill growth that because he came in knowing nothing about manufacturing and now he's like programming and setting up yep. machines and like, okay, I, I want to make sure that he feels that that is being recognized and encourage him to you know continue on that path. So I, I, I try to pay yeah, you know, pretty competitive uh, rates for him, and 
I'd rather pay him better than and, and just have him be a, a rock star than bring in you know another person or two and have yeah, to pay everybody. That, that's poorly. extremely expensive too. Like you might as well pay your guy like a great wage instead of like you know spending the like you know twenty or thirty grand at the end of the day like onboarding a new guy. You know what I mean? Because I mean I, I, you can't really put a number to it because it's kind of it's kind of qualitative. But like bringing on new people is extremely expensive in terms of like lost productivity because you're teaching them. Yeah, and, it's, it's it's months yeah, before you know. they're really part of the team and and yep. can do everything and understand how the shop works. Yep. And that's even if they have prior knowledge of manufacturing and like machining. If they're if they're coming in completely fresh, like maybe they've got a good attitude but just haven't done this before. You know, mm-hmm. tack on another few months to just get them acquainted to all the terminology and like you know what things should look and sound like and right right yeah it's it's a whole process i'd rather take care of my people and build capacity via automation not just warm bodies right yeah yeah that's where we're at too i I, kind of want to um move away from i mean we we do a lot of work for zometry like recently this year i think we've done like like 45 percent of our work's been through zometry or i guess i should say revenue i don't know about job count but um I'm trying to move away from them just because like, yeah, there's, um, there's money to be made there and stuff, but it's like, you are beholden to this publicly traded corporation who at any time can just be like, uh, you know, they can just kick you to the curb or they can be like, these parts are not good because we don't know how to measure them. Um, or the algorithm says, I don't like you anymore. Yeah. It's just like, you know, there's, there's no, it's not a human over there. You know, it's like an entity that like, uh, yeah. You never talk yeah, to the like same some, people twice. You exactly, don't get to build yeah. a relationship with your customers. Um, and th- those things, like, if I have a simple question about a part with them... It takes, like, four days, man. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's I, if I <laughs> yeah. just knew the customer, I could call them or I could email them and probably have yep. a response in 20 minutes and get yep. their stuff done on time and not late because I was waiting for clarification on something pretty simple but important. Yeah, so you're waiting four days for an answer on, like... Um, Hey, this uh, like, can we do a chamfer instead of a fillet here? Yeah, yeah or the time the, is five days, you know. The, so, the part, yeah, <laughs> and or then the, like, the, and the part like, is what? twelve millimeters thick, but then they, yeah. they specified a hole to be twelve point eight millimeters deep. I'm like, right? Did you want yeah, this so, to be a through hole, or is there something else going on? Yeah, so you're waiting on like the DFM team to answer your question about that, and meanwhile, you've got like the um, you know, regular people who work there who were like, "Why hasn't this shipped? This was due yesterday," you know. <laughs> Yeah, so that, that, that's, that, anyway. that's the biggest thing. Yeah, it's the biggest thing to me is that like uh, they don't seem to have like a um, consistent way of communicating with people. Like, uh, people, like you, like I just said, like you're talking to, like three people about the same subject at once, and none of them have any idea that like you're talking to somebody else about it at the same time. Yeah. Now I do have to say, so I, I do a little work for Fictive as well, and um, they're better about that. They're they're much smaller. They, they're in the like singular hundreds of shops uh, rather than thousands like Zometry. Mm-hmm. And you, you you get a dedicated account manager and you get, usually you see the same people in the QC team and you see the same people uh, on the logistics team and the same people are distributing jobs to you. So they kind of get a feel for what you like. And just because they're smaller and haven't yet become a nameless, faceless mega corporation, I find that they're better even though their business model is essentially the same. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I like Zometry used to be like that too. But oh yeah, as, yeah. As, soon as, as soon as you got listed on the Nasdaq or the Dow or whatever they're on, like everything goes out the window. Yeah, like, I've been everything with them is for like five money, years, money, money. At the end of the day, it's definitely changed. 
So let me ask you guys this, because I get, I mean, tons of DMs and stuff of people like, oh, what do you think of Zometry? Should I start out with Zometry? Knowing what you know now and where the company is currently, would you recommend a small shop pursue Zometry for work? Yes. Yeah, they have been responsible for filling in all the little gaps. Uh, Do not rely on them as your primary source of work. Have another plan, Mm -hmm. meet other customers, diversify as much as you can. But they're a wonderful fallback option for those slow months when you just need some work coming in the door. They have... I I think I've probably done $300,000 worth of work through them or, or probably more at this point over the years. So it's, you know, it's not the bulk of our business, but it's also not a negligible amount. Like they are very much what have kept us afloat, especially in the early years. Mm -hmm. I would say, uh, I would say the same as Nick. Um, However, if you, it's, it's, it's kind of weird. Like if you're a guy with a Tormach in your garage and you want to make some money on Zometry, you can. Um, But like if you've got significant overhead, like if you've got a, Maybe, you know, like we do like like two VF2s in a, in a um, DMU and you don't have any like special certs, like say you're not, say you're not ITAR compliant or um, you don't have ISO or whatever. Like it's going to be hard for you to find work to pay your machine payments, I would say, because like you'll, you'll see jobs on there that legitimately like you will profit like a hundred dollars on like three hours of work. Right. Um, maybe you know well, and the jobs that get posted are frankly brutal i yes. mean it, it's not easy stuff the yeah, easy it, stuff it, gets sucked up or they send it to their uh overseas people because the folks that are just posting blocks with holes they want it cheap so they they send it to i, I think they have various partners in china mm-hmm. um so the stuff that gets posted to the u.s board is usually very demanding and if you just have a three-axis tormach i think you're going to struggle to find stuff that's going to make you money. Or even if, yeah, you have VF2 or, or something, there's a lot of parts that truly need five access. And even then, yes. you've got to go and negotiate with them to try and get a reasonable price that you'll make money on. Yeah, like, yeah, we very rarely take the offered price. I mean, we'll, we'll, we take a lot of jobs from them, but like most of the time, it's it's off of a, uh, a feedback offer, which is like, you know, we'll double the price and say, we'll do it for this job. And you don't get you don't get all of those, but... I, I would say I'm the same. To make money on there. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. my, I, I almost never take the listed price. It's extremely rare that it's fair, uh, especially for some of these really crazy parts. But then they'll struggle to place it. And I think mm-hmm. they'll either go back to the customer and say, hey, actually, we quoted you wrong. Can you pay us more? And the customer is like, oh, yeah, we thought that was too good to be true anyway. Or yeah. they, they'll take a, a hit from you know, jobs that they have positive margins on. They'll, they'll take negative margins on something just to get it made and they'll pay us a bit more but yeah they I, definitely I, they're in like the kind of that startup phase where they're, they're they're still trying to gain market share and that being said like they they will definitely take a loss on um new customer parts in order to get that customer in the door and and frankly those are the ones you can make some good money on <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah i but, will yeah, I mean, sometimes double triple the price not not because i'm trying to be a jerk just because legitimately they quoted it so low that like for the lead time and the part geometry and just the sheer headache of it all, like there's no way that like I can barely buy material for what they initially offer, but then I'll mm-hmm. go and quote it like I normally would. And then they'll say, Oh yeah, that's after two or three days, they'll be like, yeah, nobody else wanted this. So uh, sure. Have yeah. it. Yeah. I, I would say um, like, don't, don't approach Zometry like they're your friend or like they're your customer. 
approach them like they are the mega corporation that they are. And, um, I mean, they're trying to extract as much money out of you as they possibly can. They don't care about you, so you got to do it right back if you want to make it, man. That's really all there is to it. Yeah, you've either got to be you've got to be fast at what you do uh, to make money. Like Zometry, I would say if you want to get really good at job shopping and have a trial by fire, they're they're a good way to do that. Get a lot of experience quickly, and also make your mistakes with a customer that you don't really have a great relationship with. Yep. Um, obviously, that- try you, you want to try to keep them happy because then they'll send you more work. But they're, because you don't have the direct connection, like if you're going to screw up with anyone, that they've got other shops they can go to if you, if you get in over your head. Yeah. yeah. Um, not that I, I, over time, we've figured out what we can do, what we can't. So it's very rare that we take on anything that's too much for us. But in the early days, I mean, sometimes I'd go, oh, yeah, I can totally do that. And then there's some hidden feature that I, I, I didn't really look at the part thoroughly. Oh, and then I, I realized, yeah, it's like, oh, well, Suddenly, this I'm part is losing this money easy on part this. Went and... to very difficult, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's deceptive because also everybody on the board is looking at. I mean, not the same jobs. They they divvy it up a little bit, and different shops with cap- different capabilities and job histories and everything will see different subsets of jobs. But generally speaking, you're not the only one looking at that job. There are other people, and oh. you might go. Oh, well, let me just double check the material price and let me look Can't at this print closely. And then uh, you go to click acceptance. This job is no longer available. It's gone. Yep. You've got to be fast, but sometimes like you have to be fast, but thorough. And it really trains you to quickly evaluate parts and decide very quickly. Just, I mean, almost just based on feel, like, yeah. am I going to make money on this or not? And so you got, maybe it's a good exercise to just scroll through and price some manually even if you are going to be too slow, just go download the files, check them out, take note of what their price and lead time was, and then figure out, can I do that? Would that make me money? Like, Be honest with yourself, especially as a new shop. And then over time, if you if you get good at that, it's going to help you with quoting your other customers. And then also if you want to do Zometry or other similar job bureau middleman work, right. you're, you're faster and more accurate at what, what's a good fit for you and what you either need to counter offer on or just pass on entirely. Totally. Yeah. We do some of that too, just kind of um feeling jobs out and accepting them. Um so we do that a lot, but yeah, uh, sometimes Friday evenings. Uh yeah, Fridays everyone, are big. Everyone's gone home. <laughs> uh they've got all the leftovers from the week. I'll go in and, and just shotgun offer a bunch of uh I don't really want to do this prices and then like Saturday sometimes or usually on Monday or Tuesday they'll come back and accept 10% of them. And yeah. I'll, I'll have the opportunity then to decide if it's still a good deal or not. Right. But uh, that's that's kind of my strategy for them. If I've got some open time the next week, I'll just... It's it's basically the make me really want to do this price. Because usually yep. there's stuff I, don't, I wouldn't actually willingly choose to do. But it's a good challenge and it can make good money. But like, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's brutal. It's, a, it's very competitive. Yeah, I feel, I feel like most of the time parts are getting to Zometry because whoever sent them to Zometry has already sent them to their local shops and their local and shops. And they got no quoted or ignored yeah. or yeah. yeah or 18-week lead time. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then Zometry's instant quoting thing is like, oh, well, we can just like magic this with the awesome six-axis machine that somebody has that gets magically programmed. And you can do that in two days, right? right. Yes, exactly. On, yeah. And this weird custom material that can only be bought in... Uh, truck loads and mill orders yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, All so right. anyone new to Zometry, just uh, he- heed those experiences. Uh, there's money to be made, but like it's... I wouldn't say it's easy. Like, the, If you want easy work, just go troll your local industrial park and say, hey, I've got a milling machine. Do you guys need stuff? You'll find people who need stuff or know a guy who knows a guy. And that's going to be a little bit easier entry. Definitely. Well, for shop news and new things, I was thinking we could all quickly talk about what we're looking for at IMTS. I know, Nick, you put a bunch of notes and I'd love to get to them, but I know that we all need to make parts today. Uh, (laughs) So uh, go ahead, um, Nick, what are you looking for? You said five axis. What machines are you looking at? What specs are you looking for? Anything else that you're you're hoping to get? Yeah, Yeah, so we can we can speed run this. Um, So, yeah, the new machines. So I'm primarily looking at a five axis, a compact five axis specifically with automation and preferably integrated automation. Uh, So not like a third party bolt on solution if I can avoid it, either something where the manufacturer works with them closely uh, or it's just a OEM, you know, option on the machine that comes with it. So I was, believe it or not, seriously considering uh, Kern Microvario because it's, Oddly enough, it meets so many of my specs. It's It fits in my shop. It has a high-speed spindle, which the Daytron has spoiled me with, and I, I kind of dig that. And it uh, the working area is plenty for most of my parts. You know, fist-sized parts, it'll do all that. It's very fast. It's more accurate than I'll ever need. It has like 100 and something tools standard, and then um, you, you can have the internal pallet changer, or you can buy an Aroa for it, and then you've got 200 tools and however many pallets. So... That was actually a, an option I was seriously considering, and you know it, it's still on my radar. But it's obviously a very expensive option. Um, it just it fits in my shop, and right. it, it, it has a lot, a lot of boxes. It has a lot of things going for it. Like the price is just th- that's pretty much it. Um, that that's the the thing that at least kept me looking for other options. I've looked at Hermley, I've looked at Micron, I've looked at Matsura. Uh, Matsuras, I've heard, tend to tip over their FANUC controls. <laughs> they have some other little issues here and there. Like, I'll check on them. I'll talk to them. They're on my radar, but they're probably not my first choice. Yeah. Um, I know my, my Yamazin salesman is always upset with me because, yeah, I've told them I'm not a big fan of FANUC for 5-axis, and I, I'm not a giant fan of their PC pallet changers. Like, they're just yeah. very space inefficient, it seems like. And, like, I haven't, like, you know brought in the model and diffusion and actually seeing how it looks next to like a speedio, but like, it looks like I could fit like an S 500 in the same spot that like a six pallet pool. Pretty much. That sucks. So I'm kind of looking for something (laughs) north of a UMC south of a Kern, uh, unless Kern wants to make me a wonderful deal. Looking at you, Dan, (laughs) I'll, I'll talk with you at IMTS. Um, and, uh, Lawrence, uh, with the long last name, Lauren's like uh, Windshank or something. Uh, anyway, it, other instant machines guy. I was talking with him, and he mentioned that Doosan or DN Solutions now is coming out with the DVF four thousand. Right. And the DVF four thousand is about UMC five hundred sized. It has a pallet changer option. I think it at the machine they're going to have one with twelve, but I I believe it's expandable up to thirty six vertically. Yeah. It so they have the AWC that Jeff posted on the discord. That's like up to 40 pallets on the DVF 5,000. So I'm kind of wondering the same, if there's going to be a, 
a slightly smaller version of that for the 4000. Yeah, if they had a slightly smaller version of the DVF 5000 and its associated pallet changer, that would be a very appealing option. And I've heard, that, so they, they come with Fanuc, I want to say, but mm-hmm. I've heard you can ask them nicely and they might put Heidenhain on it for so, a fee. I had heard that as well. Since you posted about this, I've done some research and it's very bizarre. A, DN Solutions has possibly one of the worst websites on the planet for machine tools. I don't know how one that it like seems like it's so interested in marketing can be so bad at building a website. It takes forever to load. It shows none of the actual options. They don't show Heidenhain on their website. They don't show HSK as an option on any of these machines. But HSK is an option. Right. So I don't know what actually will come on this machine. I've also now been told since then that our local dealer of Doosan, uh, a friend of mine who owns a shop in town, they just flat out refused to quote a Doosan DVF with Heidenheim. They wouldn't give him any reason. And they were just like, nope, it's just not an option for you. And so like he kind of theorized like, oh, well, they just probably don't have anybody who can fix it. Might be. So yeah, so I'm also th- th- very interested in the, the 4,000 as well. Yeah, th- there are a lot of questions I have, and that's the entire reason I'm going to IMTS is to get some of those answered because they're they're going to have one there. And I, I assume they'll have the people who know about it. But um, yeah, I, I'm really interested in that machine or maybe even the 5,000, but it, it I just need to gather more info, get some people's opinions, their real world experience, because people have complaints about every machine out there. Um, I just need to figure out, okay, are the overwhelming majority happy with it? And there's a couple flukes or are the overwhelming majority having problems with the machines? Um, and the, the happy ones are the oddball. So, um, I'm looking at those. I also am looking at like a DMU 50, uh, depending on their, um, pallet changer solution. Hermley, same thing, like a C250 or something but their pallet changer is equally bulky as Matsuro's. And that's really what it comes down to is I need to find, like most of the machines will fit in my shop, but the pallet changers are all ginormous and I right. don't need, I need fist size parts. That's what I need. I'll, I'll manually pallet change anything bigger if I need to. But if you can hold a dozen even, that buys my evenings and weekends back because I spend too many hours at the shop because I need to load parts that are a 10 minute cycle. Yep. But they're they're full five axis, or they need access on every side, so I can't easily gang them up. So I just want to load ten of them, run the first one during the day, go, yep, that worked, and go sleep or eat some food or something, and get some of my life back. And I'm I'm willing to buy a rather expensive machine in order to pull that off, um, yep. because I, at this point in my business, we're I feel like we're kind of out out of the super bootstrapping stage, and I'm in the reclaim my life stage. Um. <laughs> But sometimes that may mean, like, it's not just work less or take fewer jobs. I want the business to continue to grow, but I, I'm i trying to figure out where our inefficiencies are. And really, everyone in my shop needs to be programming parts or inspecting stuff or, or packing things. The, the machines should be able to change parts out themselves, especially if we're running multiples of the same one. So a pallet changer is the obvious solution. But we do such a variety that I can't just stick a robot arm in front of it and have it do part loading with an air vice. Yeah. Um, I, I, it needs to be able to change the entire fixture and stock and everything out on its own. So, uh, And even like a Trinity system, I've looked at those, but I don't love that it's a, a full robot arm in there. And I think if you're going to spend that money and buy a system like that, 
an Aroa Compact 80 is a better choice, and you can retrofit those onto almost anything. Yeah. But well, it seems silly to have a six axis robot doing two axis robot things. Yeah, you need a and, rotary axis and like, I mean, really, you need, you, yeah, you need two linear axes and a rotary axis. You're up and down, you're in and out and spin around. Yeah. That's extra complexity on the robot arm style. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, anyway, I'm just going to kind of wander around IMTS and the uh, machining section. I'll see if there's anything that looks interesting that I haven't looked at. And otherwise, I'm going to go and harass uh, Dusan. And um, DMG's got their event going on in parallel. I'll be over there on Sunday, maybe a little bit Monday morning. <laughs> Us and, too. Okay. See you there. Yeah, we'll have to do the uh, evening activities yeah. uh, and everything. But yeah, I'll, I'll see what DMG's got. I know they've got pallet changer options. I'll see what Matsura, Hermley, uh, Dusan. I'm not looking at Haas. Their pallet changer is oversized and dumb. Um, and yeah. also, I'm not... Th- you talk about the gantry loader, like 80-20 thing? Uh, yeah, I think so. Or there, yeah, there's also the the big, stupid. like, rotary one. Yeah. Oh, the one for, like, VFs? Uh, they sell yeah, it for maybe the UMCs, too? They have know. it for the they UMC for now. The yeah. Okay. Uh, Tony at Autosports just got one. Yeah. Um, have to check in and see how he's doing with it once he's had it up and running for a bit but it's just it's bulky it's not space efficient um for me he's got plenty of space so maybe it works for him but like i have reliability issues with my umc so i'm not going to go pay money to buy an integrated automation solution on this i'd rather sell the machine it's still in pristine shape it still makes good parts it's just you know minor headache inducing periodically and i'd like to just upgrade to a rock solid machine with automation. Yep. So if I can find something in the four hundred to five hundred thousand dollar range, I'd be comfy with that. More than that, I'm gonna have to really think on it. Less than that, I'm not really sure I can get what I want. Um, yeah. So that that's kind of what I'm expecting. And then past that for IMTS, casually shopping for a shop floor CMM, casually shopping for a Y axis lathe. Uh, okay. maybe Doosan will make me a deal on uh DVF 4000 pallet changer and uh, LS 2100 or Lynx 2100 LSYB or right. something. Because I think that's the machine I want. I, I saw one last week and it, I think it would do everything I need. Uh, Seth at Liberty Machine has one. He's happy with it. Everyone I talk to is happy with their Doosan lathes. Uh, I think Pearson's got several. Yeah. Um, so. I think that would be fine. I just uh, my Kia is from 2003. I don't have a Y axis. Uh, I don't have a good source of parts or support for it. So if anything happens, I'm kind of SOL. I'd rather sell that as a functioning machine to another little startup. You know, pay it forward a little bit, and just plop something modern in its spot that I can rely on that has competent documentation and subspindle programming and uh, a post that I don't have to build from scratch and things like that. Yeah, sounds good. What about you, Juan? What are you looking for at MTS? Uh, yeah, um, a auto bandsaw that can cut like 12 inch diameter rounds would be awesome. Um, I'm sick of cutting like two inch thick bar on my vertical bandsaw. It totally sucks. Uh, we've got a, a DeWalt chop saw, which is cool for like smaller stuff. Like it's a lot faster than the vertical bandsaw or whatever, but really I just want to be able to, um, have a an auto horizontal saw that can cut like 10 or 100 or whatever of something accurately and straight while i'm doing something else um we literally find ourselves wanting a a horizontal band saw like on a weekly basis so it's about time at this point 
Uh, and like I mentioned earlier, we're, we're working on getting Chromate conversion um, in-house right now because I'm, I'm sick of sending stuff out for a week or two weeks to get dipped in a bath and then it comes back late and damaged and I got to pay the shipping and blah, blah, blah. So we're bringing that in-house, which has turned into more of a headache than I expected it to be. Um, you can buy like Chromate conversion kits online, but they're actually kind of limited in what you can do with them. Um, we're trying to do class one, class two, or excuse me, we're trying to do type one, type two, uh, both of which in classes one, A, and three, um, I think. I think that's kind of the common stuff. Uh, and you just need a lot of infrastructure to do that, as it turns out. Um, you need, you like, like you want like DI rents and stuff and you want like, you want some heaters and you want like constant overflow, like pump uh, baths and stuff. It, it, it's a lot. So I'm kind of working through that right now. Um, and, and that being said, you know, on that note, we're looking for, like I said earlier, a full, a full building DI system with like a booster pump installed to it. So I can, so I can have DI on demand basically. So I can rinse parts with it like into the sink, you right. know, stuff like that. So, yeah. Cool. Um, we're also kind of out of air at this point. It, the, the, the DMU is like really particular about how much air it wants and um, the pressure at which it, it gets the air. And we basically can't sandblast or like dry off a lot of parts with compressed air and run the DMU at the same time. So we kind of are looking for a second compressor. Um, I'll probably just get another Quincy because that's what we have already, but I'll probably go swing by the compressed air area and just see what's out there. I'm that's really happy with my Kaiser. Um, that thing has been rock solid for me, although I've also outgrown it. Um, mm -hmm. Ran into the same thing. I can't uh, beat blast parts at the same time as machines are running. The Daytron's really air hungry. It's constantly running the air purge. It's got the mist, uh, the ethanol mist coolant and um, it uses probably half my air capacity alone. And then you fire up another two mils you blow an air gun once in a while and like it it does it but then if i ever need to bead blast apart at the same time machines are running i, I pretty it's much all can. over yep yeah so for those ones I, i'm probably going to just buy a seven and a half horsepower to go along with it put it side by side uh because you can network them and then on low demand days they'll kind of ping pong back and forth to keep the wear even and then on high demand days they'll cooperate and that would also double my tank storage capacity. And they're, they're so compact because uh, they're kind of a vertical standing unit that it, it fits well with my shop. Yeah, you need an auxiliary tank with those things, right? No. Or does yours have a tank built in? No, okay. the, uh, my, I have the Air Tower, and it has a 60-gallon tank, uh, five-horsepower compressor, and air dryer all in one nice compact unit. Mm -hmm. It looks like a Minion. It's like, yeah, it does. It, it just needs it really some goggles. Does. That's yeah, awesome. Stand up your right shoulder. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But no, I mean, it, it's been rock solid. I just, I should have bought the seven and a half. It was only a marginal increase. I was trying to keep my power demand low, which is the reason I didn't get the bigger one. Mm -hmm. um, but now that the air conditioning's installed and I kind of know what I'm working with, I've never seen my shop above 85 amps. And I've got uh, like 135 or 150, depending on who you ask. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's a little dubious. Power company says one thing. Electrician has another. My own math on the wire size and length uh, says another thing entirely. So nice. it's somewhere in that range. I try not to melt things, but I could, like, I think that draws like seven amps right now or something. Yeah. So I could 
happily fit another one of similar size without any real issues. Like the air conditioning is what I was basically saving all my amps for. Yeah, we, we're kind of doing the same thing. Like we've got, I think, 200 amps here. or We've got basically two units. So we've got like 200 amps of three phase and like 50 amps of single phase. Um, and like we're pretty much maxed out as far as the electrician's concerned. Like we could probably have a couple more machines in here. But like he really doesn't want to put any more like breakers and or, or any additional load into the system. You know what I mean? Even, even though like, yeah, our, our system never peaks above like 80 amps. Yeah. He, I, like we... When he, when he came last time, we were like starting and stopping all the spindles at like exactly the same time to see how high it would go. And yeah, it like never went above 80, but he's still uncomfortable about it. Yeah. Well, and the, the DMU has a, what, 50 horsepower spindle or something? Man, I don't know. I don't know any of the numbers on that machine, to be honest with you, it, but it, it's, it's actually, big. yeah, it's big, but it, it's, yeah. it, that, that machine actually runs on 600 volts and it's got a transformer. <laughs> it came with a transformer. Yeah. So yeah, it's <laughs> kind of a good thing. The Daytron's 400 volts and it's the same. Mm-hmm. Actually, the biggest power draw in my shop, I think, is the vacuum pump for the Daytron. That was surprising for yep. me. Yep. Um, it's a four-horsepower vacuum pump, but it draws that 100% of the time it's on. And you, you, you run a four-horsepower load for, you know, six, eight hours a day. And that really racks up the power bill. It's actually oh, yes. worse than the air conditioning by far. And, like, when I got the Daytron, it pretty much doubled my power bill. Sheesh. Takes. Uh, I mean, that's because I keep it running, and it more than pays for the additional electric cost but it's Mm -hmm. a relatively expensive machine to run just because the vacuum work holding is kind of inefficient yeah is the um what is the alcohol like uh it's 200 proof ethanol yeah okay i have a 55 gallon drum (laughs) no it is 600 dollars for a 55 gallon drum oh geez that's a lot less than i thought it would be that's not bad at all yeah Uh, (laughs) it's looking like a drum is going to last me eight or nine months that's um, not bad yeah that's cool so, cool my coolant costs more than that on my machine i was gonna say yeah coolant's yeah. like double that yeah almost. no it's, it's it's quite a good deal it's a full loss system but you don't use a lot of it um like i can it's a nine liter tank uh how many gallons is that is that like two and a half gallons three gallons uh like two and a half yeah yeah so that that'll last me a week of normal machining or like three four days of like really hard had to turn up the alcohol for deep pocketing uh machining but like normal stuff i i don't know i i fill it when the machine says it's empty and it'll pause and say like coolant tank number one is empty and then uh it'll turn off the spindle feed hold i walk around back i fill it up i press go again it picks up where it left off like it it handles all of that really elegantly nice well yeah i'm uh looking for basically the same thing you are nick i don't want to hire anybody because I have worked in the job pool here enough and I know the people who are out there. Fair and, enough. Uh, I would much rather spend that money on automation and all that. So yeah, I'm looking at the DVF 4000, uh, C250, things like that. Um, I don't know. We'll just see. And then... I will see you at one of the booths yeah. almost surely. Oh, you got to uh, find yourself a instant machinist madman like Jeff who's willing to move across the country. Can yeah, we have Jeff? <laughs> can, can, can I have Jeff? Can he float? Like, can we each get like three or four months with him? No, we need him here. Sorry. <laughs> can I have him on the weekends or between could, the uh, hours of 11 p.m. and 8 a.m.? I can lease him to you, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I need a Jeff clone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but that, that's really the only way I'd hire somebody because I, I, everyone here who I've worked with is either way too expensive, like they're, you know, engineers that are getting paid Raytheon money or they're, mm-hmm. You know, people that are the kind of people who would take a production job and then turn it up to 200% feed because they felt like it and they were bored. 
It's like, well, I don't need yeah, you in cool. my shop. That's, yeah, or that's all, not all your idea. spare end mills start disappearing and then they're on eBay. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Brad, Brad had an e- uh, a weekend once at his last job where I think the weekend shift at his job went through six or seven $200 thread mills without raising any alarm. It was just like, yep, just throw another one in. Let's keep trying. And it like turned out that it was programmed for the wrong size or something. It was just like rub- rubbing it to death in steel and nobody Oof. said anything. And it's like, I, I can't afford to have somebody like that in my shop. So yeah, you need someone who's who's got a clue, who cares a little bit, and it there's there's definitely th- those people are out there, but they're usually pretty in demand and right. You know, f- find places that they're happy pretty quickly. So if, when when you come across them, you've got to scoop them up or uh, just pretend that those sort of people don't exist and figure out how to do it yourself. Yeah, yeah, I like what you said about scooping them up because, like, when when I hired Jeff, like, I was not ready to hire Jeff. Um, like, we had just dropped like a hundred grand on the like DMU and the Lang and the tool holders and everything that comes with it, and uh, that's like the most stressed I've been in my entire life. Actually, I thought I was gonna die, and uh, like at the same time, Jeff was like, "Can I come work for you?" <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, shoot, like, I want Jeff also." So like that was a bit of a stretch, but uh. But yeah, I mean, like, I felt like if I didn't hire Jeff at that point, like, he probably would have ended up at like, uh, at like Dylan's shop or something, and uh, I would have lost him. So you know, and he, if he had visited me, maybe <laughs> I would have grabbed him. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, I, I think that like when we're, my plan is to really like do the automation thing, get that workflow dialed, and then start bringing in people and training them on that, like how I want that sh- the shop to run, basically. Yeah. And when we get to that point, my guess is I, I'd much rather partner with like the local community college I went to for machine tool and like talk to my teachers there and be like, who is a promising candidate that I can train? Because like, I'd much rather pull somebody that I know what kind of education they're getting and then build on that rather than like pull somebody in who's, 10 years older than me and has 30 years of bad habits I have to unlearn. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Just train like one or two guys and then, you know, if you start bringing in additional people, then the original ones can train the new guys and, you you know, you can kind of delegate that. That's a good yeah. way to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, 5X is I'm looking at. Poss- I, like I said, I want to get a deep dive on Calypso, so I'm hoping I can push some people out of the way in the Zeiss booth and just sit down at a computer and have them show me how to run it. Yeah, I need to come with you for that. I want to see that as well. Okay. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll just have to get a whole like conga line of instant machinists just going from booth <laughs> to booth. Yes. We'll Absolute just, chaos. I'll, I'll go meet up at uh, Kern and then go from there. Yeah. So speaking of which, I'm going to announce it here. I'll post it on my Instagram. We are doing a big instant machinist meetup on Wednesday at three o'clock at the Kern booth, which is 338719. I'll put it in the show notes. Make sure you're there. We're all going to meet up. We're going to absolutely disrupt that side <laughs> of the South booth. And I'm, I'm sure sticker bomb p- a new Kern. <laughs> right. <laughs> Piss off everyone around Kern. <laughs> I have actual have stickers now. I don't just have to tape a business card to uh Grimsmith Palette Changer <laughs> using Oh yeah, I got some of those, I think, in my latest in my latest shipment from you guys. Yeah, months. yeah. But, but before <laughs> when I was an emo, everyone was supposed to sticker bomb Grimsmith's Kern. And I only had my metal business cards, which are not self-adhesive, and I didn't have anything <laughs> to tape it on with. So I went to the fifth access booth, got like a handful of stickers from them, and I f- I folded the stickers back on each other so that they made like double stick tape. So I think to this day, my business card is still adhered to his palette changer with fifth axis stickers. <laughs> and you're the reason that he has fifth axis now. Is he saw all these stickers underneath yep. your card. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, John. <laughs> I, I, um, 
also shout out if anyone wants some fifth axis stuff i'm i'm transitioning to lang and i've got uh some vices and zero point uh what you call it the, the base plates uh for sale so hit me up if you're interested nothing wrong with them per se i just like lang better yeah lang gang lang gang uh all right well then let's get to the last question i ask every guest every week which is what did you guys research this week and it can be anything under the sun doesn't need to be machining related what you've been looking up one you go first yeah uh mill dtl uh 5541 um, <laughs> i know that one <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> so chem film certs okay yeah uh like i said we're, we're big into chem film right now that's my that's my big project right now is getting that going um but other than that a little bit of outside of work stuff um i've been doing a lot of rock climbing with jeff lately um so that's you know kind of been a new a new uh life outside of work thing for me you know doing some youtube videos and stuff or watching some youtube videos i should say about that and learning new things so that's been fun that's really cool. Yeah, yeah I, I've I've somehow stumbled across a bunch of rock climbing YouTube videos, and I'm like watching them, and I'm like, I haven't been climbing in like ten years. Yeah, Why am I blast, watching this? <laughs> it's it's a, it's a lot of fun. Like, uh, I pretty much was not exercising at all before rock climbing, so you know that's obviously a really good thing for me. Um, but like going to the regular gym, just it's kind of boring, you know. Like you're just like putting like picking things up and putting them down, and it's just like there's no like mental aspect to it. Um, at rock climbing, there's more of a problem solving aspect as well as a exercise portion. So it's fun. Okay. That's great. Nick. Yeah, that, that sounds like fun. I wish I were closer cause I would totally join you guys. I used to do a little bit of rock climbing. Um, my mom was a gymnastics coach and they had a rock wall there. So when I was a kid, I would always just spend my time in the evenings, like going up and down the, the wall and you know, it was okay at it. It was fun. Um, but all right. So this week or this this past week, I haven't really had time to do too much research because uh, Autodesk invited me to an event at their UK office in uh, Birmingham. So they um, they kind of asked a, a group of their Fusion developers and some customers to all fly over. And we did just a big in-person meetup and talked about... <laughs> I mean, it was pretty much fusion stuff from, from the beginning to the end. They, they gave us a tour of their facility, much bigger than I thought it was. They've got like robot arms doing hybrid additive stuff in the front room. Uh, I got to see like a Bach Mono, which was designed entirely in Autodesk Inventor, which is a really cool car. It's like my dream car. Like yeah, I, so sick. I, I got to touch it. It was cool. <laughs> um, and then, uh, in the back, they've got like their R&D machines. They've got a UMC 1000 with a Meltio additive deposition head on it. They're doing like metal 3D printing and then machining it back off uh, to final parts. Um, they've got their like VF2 and their Doosan Lynx lathe that they use for like post-development and things. Um, they have uh, this huge print, huge FDM printer called Vesuvius that they're taking to Autodesk University. It's like a, a just a truly massive. Like if you took an Ultimaker and you just scaled it up like ten times, it's it's huge. Um, they've got a whole bunch of machines in the back which are working on, uh, I guess uh, some super secret projects. But they they have some very impressive machines there, like a big uh, DMG like one twenty five duo block and. Uh, huge Doosan verticals. They've got a DMU 65 there. Uh, they've got some massive like gantry mill, 
with a five axis head on it in the back doing some finishing stuff. And then they've got like a Hermley mill turn. It's, it has like a 500 or not a 500. How big is it? It's, it's gotta be, I guess in inches, it's probably a 40 inch diameter table. And they said it spins 2000 RPM. That's terrifying. So it's like a five axis, <laughs> but also it can be the most scary lathe you've ever seen. Um, and so then like they've a got seven like, or what eight or nine hundred millimeter table that's yeah it, that fast. It, it's huge it's ridiculous yeah, no so fix. yeah they, they they've got all these machines they do like post development on them they do they they actually test software stuff they when they're developing new toolpath strategies they go and run them there and then use that to help tweak the algorithm underneath and like make sure that all of us up at the surface level get good results so they, they crash their machines so we don't have to. <laughs> um, but it was really cool to see all that. And they also have some very impressive inspection gear and like robotic stuff. And then upstairs, they've got all the, the offices where the, the development, uh, work happens. That's where Dell cam used to be before Autodesk bought them. Oh, okay. Um, cool. But yeah, it was just a, uh, it was only really a two day event, but it kind of extended plus or minus a day. Cause people got there early and left late and we'd, we'd, get up early in the morning, have some breakfast, go talk fusion all day and did some, some classes, uh, on like five axis toolpath control and like, you know, upcoming features that are not yet public, but are very cool. Um, I did a presentation on like what basically the, the two big things that I love about fusion and the two really big barriers, uh, and for the barriers, I mostly talked about how right now it's technically not ITAR compliant. And as my business is recently has recently been approved for ITAR, that's a little bit annoying because I've got to find alternate solutions for that. Um, and then also, I really, really, really want associative tools in the tool library so that when you create a, a toolpath and you select a tool, it doesn't copy a tool into an entirely new instance. I, I want this to be linked so you can push and pull changes and everything. So I, I talked about that stuff a little bit. Um, um, among you know many 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 other conversations that extended throughout the entire event and even well into the car ride back to the airport. <laughs> um, so th th that that was a really good event. I'm very thankful that they invited me to that, and uh, good time was had by all. I think it was productive for me, productive for Autodesk, getting to spend some quality time in person with the customers, not just as a short Zoom call, but just. You know, go go tap on someone's shoulder and and ask them about something over lunch, and it's you know they can say, oh, well, you know, I don't know about that, but hey, that person over there, they wrote that feature. Go talk to them; they can tell you all the nitty gritty about why it does this or doesn't do that. Like, just absolutely a fantastic time. So, no research, uh, but I guess you could also consider a lot of that research. Yeah, you were, you were forced downloaded a lot of information. It was drinking from a fire hose. Let me tell you, that was that was a lot going on in a short period of time. I was so exhausted. I was jet lagged. I didn't get to sleep on the plane. And just luckily, the British like their tea and coffee breaks. So <laughs> about every hour, hour and a half, we would all break and go and caffeinate and get some snacks. So that kept me going. But I crashed so hard when I got back in town. I bet. Yeah. So no, that, that was good. And then uh, past that, it's just like dog training. We have our, our puppy that we adopted uh, last August is now a giant 75 pound ball of energy. And 
he's wonderful. He's sweet. He is the best cuddler in the world. But when a 75 pound, very muscular dog doesn't listen well, um, it can be problematic. And he is so fast. I mean, he, he can, he can sprint across a field in no time. So, um, since we're traveling for IMTS, normally we try to leave him with a friend, but he and our other dog are a lot, mostly because he has so much energy and our other dog is just a very, she's an old lady and doesn't really want to play. And he really wants to play. So she ends up getting upset at him. So we're going to drop him off at training on Monday. He's going to start some training where we pick him up every night. And then while we're away at IMTS, he's going to be boarded with them and he'll get some hardcore puppy boot camp uh, <laughs> while we're machine shopping. So I don't expect magic overnight, but hopefully this is the start of some incremental changes. And, you know, I, I, I don't need him to be a super obedient police dog or service dog, but I, I'd like him to at least listen a little bit better. And, um, you know, if he jumps on somebody who does not want hugs right that moment, we can at least get him to sit down. And um, <laughs> I think Jeff, when, when Jeff was at our shop, uh, when you guys visited a little while yeah. ago, he was sitting in a chair and Mando just like climbed up the chair and like sat on his face. Oh, that was me. That was, oh, me that, that was you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He has no sense of personal space. Yeah. He's very, he's very sweet, but uh, yeah, no, no sense of personal space. He still thinks he's sure. tiny. Yeah. Like he'll come paw at me and say like, hi, can I come up? I'm like, dude, you're like three feet tall and super strong. I've seen you. He'll stand on my carts that I use for organizing my parts. He's a nut. Yeah. (laughs) He he, he likes to get up on chairs, but I think he just likes high places. So he'll stand on a chair. And then if I have an empty like material cart nearby, he'll put his paws up there and I'll just look over and he's like sitting on top of a cart or like on top of some stock or something. Like, dude, what are you doing? He's such a doofus, but I love him. But I will love him more if if he at least learned some manners uh, that we can optionally call on him to use. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, don't don't want to break his spirit too much. I mean, I, I still love the the energy and the spontaneous weirdness, but um, he needs to know how to behave with other people and in public. Yeah, for sure. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time. I know, like I said at the beginning, we are all slammed, so I'm gonna wrap this up pretty quickly here so we can all go make some money um, and lessen our lows before IMTS. But thank you guys so much for taking the time to come on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having us again. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Um, I'm sorry. The Florida man episode did not have more alligators. I think that's more of the Miami crowd. Yeah. Um, You guys are like the least Florida men. Yeah. Orlando and Jacksonville. There's no jail time. Now you know of. (laughs) Dude, our, our records are all public here. You would know. <laughs> you can Google anything about anyone in Florida. Right. That's why you guys are in the news. Because, like, if it's a slow news day, it's just like, oh, let's see what happened in Florida today. Yeah, you never hear Arizona, man. No. Yeah. No, no, but, no. But I, it was good. Thanks for having us on again, catching up a little bit. And um, I'm sure we'll see everybody at IMTS. Definitely. Yeah, look, yeah, look for the conga line. For sure. Thanks to all the Patreon members. You guys make these episodes possible. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week.